in a year that has been so improbable, the impossible has happened. A shot on Elo. Guys, the Bulls win! You know what time it is. The most amazing, sensational, dramatic. This is Mitch Moe. And this is Dallin. Guys, welcome back in to the podcast. It's good to be here. We're recording this on a Wednesday. It is Wednesday, <laughs> my dudes. It is. I was waiting for it. <laughs> we say it basically every time we bring it up. But uh, yes, we're recording this on September the 21st. Wait, do you remember? Do I? The 21st night of September? Yeah. Oh, we did it. Oh, wow. <laughs> How could I not? Come on. It's, uh, it only comes around once a year. You know, you got to be shout sharp. Out, shout out Earth, Wind, and Fire. Shout out. Yeah. Yeah. Who knows? We, you know, we could have been produced to one of those songs, you know? So shout out Earth, Wind, and Fire. That's right. <laughs> Good looks. Right. Uh, Speaking bitch. of pop culture. I didn't know the chick from from Stranger Things was British. Millie Bobby Brown, yeah. Yeah, I didn't know that. I I got my eyes opened like two days ago that she was British. I've never heard her voice before. Maybe she should be the next queen. I mean, she's got she's got the by the way most fun name to say of all time, Millie Bobby Brown. Yeah, yeah. But now that I know that it's pronounced not Millie, but Millie, like it just makes it that much better. You just have to shout it. Is that what you're saying? Pretty much. <laughs> Millie Bobby Brown. <laughs> oh, that's great. Yes, she is British. So many people, you know, that's the thing. It's funny. Caitlin and I, my wife and I were just talking about this. Like British actors do such a good job of hiding their accents in movies. And they do such great American accents that like we don't even know that they're not from here. I mean, Tom Holland. You know, is a famous Gary, example. Like the first Spider-Man Gary movie came Oldman. out. I don't think any of us knew that he was British. Yeah, Gary Oldman, Emily Blunt. Mm-hmm. You know, she's British. So yeah, I mean, uh, Benedict Cumberbatch. He does great. So yeah, it's it's crazy. Well, Shout with out name, with a name like Benedict. Cumberbatch, okay, yeah, that's a good. That's, that's, yeah, that's actually a good point. That is a good point. He doesn't count. Uh, he does a great American accent, but yes, his name is the most British thing I've ever heard. Uh, Benedict in my life. Cumberbatch. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Dal, we got uh, a lot. Yeah, shout out to the Brits, by the way. Rest in peace, the Queen. You know, oh, yeah. she's uh, she's she's uh, yeah, the monarchy. You know, obviously, listen, America, we weren't about that life. Clearly, you know, we made that decision 250 years ago. But good on you know, good on them, I guess. Uh, good luck to King Charles. You know, long live the Queen. Long may she reign. Yep. There you go. Wow. Okay. Uh, Mitch, I do got to say, I know this is tangents, a lot of tangents. We'll get into the podcast, but I don't know if you saw pictures of this, but like right after she passed, like in a lot of cities around, uh, like, a uh, the world, obviously in the Commonwealth and even in the United States in Washington, DC, they put up 
you know, the British flag to like honor the queen in her passing. And I saw a picture that somebody snapped of like the street in Washington, D.C., like lined with the British flag and like the U.S. Capitol in the background. And it really freaked me out for a second. <laughs> it was like, oh, it's, I mean, it was like an alternate universe. Like, what if we didn't win the Revolutionary War? It was like a weird moment in time. I was just like, huh. That's a weird alternate universe we could have lived in. It's treason. It's treason. Is it, 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 felt, is. it felt a little weird. Yeah. Felt, I was like, we could honor the queen and all, but do we got to throw the flag up like that? You know, you know what? Screw it. Washington, D.C. Pit of misery. <laughs> dilly, dilly. Dilly, dilly. Yeah, I'm going to spice you naming their team the commanders. I mean, what the hell was that? That was not a good, they, you know, that's multiple offenses here. Uh, Midge. Today's podcast, we'll, we'll, we'll get into some news uh, to start the campus tour. Another great week in the world of college football. Uh, Mitch got top five for us today, and then we'll do, uh, you know, the normal stuff. An NFL week two recap. We've got some uh, some categories that we're going to uh, pick pick uh, for to sort of recap this last week. And then, of course, our uh, week quick picks for week three. So a loaded podcast, and we've had some some fun, some jokes to start, but uh, Mitch probably should jump jump into this thing here with the news. That's right. Let's get into the news and notes around the world of sports. Let's get into the news! Yeah, British people, sometimes they knock you on your ass with their with their accents. But Yeah. Um, yeah. Hey, we got some NFL news to get started with, though. We do. We do. Yeah. Um, this... Uh, this coming down uh, as a result of uh, something that happened in last week's game between the Buccaneers and the Saints, an altercation. There's some yapping between Tom Brady and Saints cornerback Marshawn Lattimore. Uh, there's a long history between the Saints and the and the Bucks. I mean, division rivals, but there's been some chippiness for a long time, including a long, uh, you know, headlined by Marshawn Lattimore and Mike Evans. Uh, well, Mike Evans took offense to the yapping and, and the sort of uh, jawing that Lattimore was doing at his QB, at, at the GOAT himself, Tom Brady, and flew off at him and uh, shoved him pretty, pretty good. It was a bit of a scuffle. Obviously, they both got ejected from the game, but uh, Evans is going to be suspended for the next game. Uh, that came down from the NFL. That was, he, he did appeal. Uh, his appeal was denied, so he will be serving that suspension this week against the Green Bay Packers. Uh, so there you go. Um, that's, that's what's happening. I mean, listen, you got to defend your guy. Uh, you, I, I heard somebody say, you could see him saying on the sideline afterwards, like it's Tom Brady. What do you want me to do? You know, like, I mean, when you know, you're Tom Brady, you know, your quarterback's in a fight. You got to go back him up. It is what it is. It might cost you a game. Uh, it was pretty warranted, but, uh, just fascinating to see this bad blood. They'll play again later this year. You know, we'll see, we'll see what kind of fireworks we, uh, you know, we catch then. Yeah. I mean, if we get anything like Michael Crabtree and a keep to lead from a few years ago, that'd be oh, awesome. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I'm, I'm actually team Mike Evans here. I mean, you're right. It's your quarterback. What do you want him to do? You know? Right. <laughs> so like if I'm, if I'm Todd Bowles, I'm like, pointing the finger and going, Hey, you need to control yourself. You need to be more level-headed. And then when everyone else turns around, I'm giving them the fist bump, like, Hey, attaboy, way to go. So right. like, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm <laughs> team Mike Evans here, man. You, you've got to protect your guy. You have to. Yeah, no doubt. No doubt. Um, 
Yeah, so there we go. We'll see how that affects Tampa Bay this weekend. I mean, they're already without Julio, no Chris Godwin, so they're already pretty thin at the wide receiver group. Uh, so it could be a big uh, challenge this week with Green Bay. Mitch, let's go over to the NBA for some NBA news. And this is a follow-up to something we talked about on the last month or so. Uh, Robert Sarver, uh, who was suspended by the NBA for a year and fined uh, for misconduct uh, in the workplace, essentially, as the owner of the uh, both the Phoenix Suns and the Phoenix Mercury, the NBA and WNBA franchises. Uh, well, he announced today, this morning, that he would be uh, beginning the process to sell uh, both of those franchises. He blames cancel culture, Mitch, uh, which I I just find ironic when, you know, the behavior, like, that's just inexcusable behavior. And I... I'm glad that this this was the right conclusion. It was it is disappointing that the NBA didn't have the means or have the balls, I guess, to demand that he sell the teams. And maybe they did behind the scenes. We don't maybe we won't know for a long time, you know, what spurs this. Maybe he truly feels like he can't come back from this in time to sell now and move on. Maybe he was forced by the league or others hey, you know, you need to get out of here, take your money. We'll never know, but this is the right outcome, is that he's no longer in an ownership position. Uh, he is going to financially benefit greatly from the sale of these franchises. Phoenix is a great market and obviously been a great franchise recently. It's going to be very valuable, which is disappointing that he's going to benefit in that way. But ultimately, uh, I think, it is good to know that the right outcome came here uh, and that he's no longer going to be able to be an owner uh, in that league. Uh, yeah. I mean, this should have been the the penalty from the get go, but um, it, you know, cancel culture, it's a thing. It actually is around. It sucks. It's stupid. But if you're going to claim cancel culture as, as the reason for this, when it's clearly something that like no one wants to be a part of, uh, it just shows your guilt even more like it, it like this guy just absolutely was a piece of shit. And I, I'm glad to see him sell the team. I, I think that this is the right thing. You're right. He is going to financially benefit from this. He's going to make way more money than what he would, you know, than the fines that he's going to have to pay to the yeah. NBA. But, um, you know, if it were if it were me, I would have said, no, you don't have. You don't have ownership of these two franchises. They're going to go up for auction, and you mm. walk away with nothing. <laughs> and, you know, that, that's yeah. how I would have handled that. But that's also like not how business protocol works. So like probably breaking sure. some laws doing that. But yeah, you know what? it would be a messy, very much litigated process, and you know who knows how that would turn out. But, sure. But yes, I'll, I'm with you there. I mean, he shouldn't obviously be able to make billions of dollars here, uh, which he will do. Uh, in the sale of these franchises. And that is obviously disappointing, but uh, you know, I, I think it's exciting for obviously exciting for those who were affected by him and uh, his conduct, uh, exciting for Phoenix as franchises, the players and the fan base, because this owner has held them back for the last 20 years. So to now be free from him and potentially have somebody who can invigorate life and energy and, you know, finances into what is already a pretty successful franchise. That is an exciting and enticing 
uh, opportunity. And hopefully for them, they find uh, a good fit there in Phoenix. Charles Barkley, get a group of buyers together and go <laughs> hey. in on the Phoenix Suns. Hey, you know, we've seen, yeah, Dwayne Wade's a part owner of the Jazz. We've seen more and more players uh, dip into that. I'm sure LeBron post-playing career will be very much involved in that. So I, I like it. I like it. I like it, Mitch. There you Man. go. Uh, let's jump over to the MLB for some news. We don't talk a lot of Major League Baseball, but we're getting uh, towards the postseason. So we're going to do a quick look at the standings before we do that, Mitch, though, I, I want to talk about this news. Uh, pretty big news. Uh, history made is Aaron judge uh, last night hit his 60th home run of the season. Uh, he joins an exclusive list. Uh, there have only been nine home run seasons in major league baseball history by just six players. Uh, he joins uh, Babe Ruth, Roger Maris, Barry Bonds, Mark McGuire, who achieved the feat twice, and Sammy Sosa, who achieved the feat three times. Uh, he's now just one home run back of Roger Maris's AL record for home runs in a season, which is 61. So obviously going to have the opportunity there, but uh, really an, an historic season for Aaron Judge and uh, I mean, he was he popped on the scene a couple years ago and it seemed like he was destined to do that every year and he kind of fell off, you know, injuries and, and whatnot uh, over the last couple of seasons. Uh, he didn't really quite hit that peak. And I mean, I even felt like this coming into the season, there was even talk from people about is he washed? Like, is he, you know, overrated? Was he going to ever be that guy, you know, or was that a fluke? But. I mean, man, he has proved the doubters wrong and then some with this record-breaking season he's had leading the Yankees. Yeah, and you mentioned the AL record of 61 set by Roger Maris. It's really hard for not my old head side to come out and say, that's the actual record, home run record you need to beat, not 73, not 70, not 66, because of this whole steroid era thing. It's sure. really hard for me to keep my old head out of this, but I have to look at it as it's an era, it happened. Um but he, nonetheless, I mean, he's having a phenomenal year. The guy's been absolutely fantastic. Um, he's still technically on triple crown watch right now. Yeah, um, yeah. Leading incredible. In, leading in home runs and RBIs. Freddie Freeman would have to have a really bad last two weeks for Aaron Judge to pass him. Freddie Freeman's batting 330 right now. Aaron mm. Judge batting 316. So. Freddie and I don't trust that Freddie Freeman's going to have a bad few weeks. I mean, he's just that solid of a player. Yeah. Um. Really, the only guy that he could pass right now is Paul Goldschmidt, who's batting 322. So, um, it's not out of the question. I don't think the triple crown happens. I don't think we've had that since Miguel Cabrera. So, yeah. Um, in the early 2010s, but uh, nonetheless, a fantastic season he's been putting together. Um, and should be. The AL MVP, I think, at the end of the year. I think this should be a pretty easy vote for as wonderful as Otani's been for the Angels. Absolutely, right. Not a, not a part of a winner. Um, the Yankees the guy are winning. 60 home runs, and he's also batting over 300, and he's he also got, batting yeah. in 120, I mean, 120 plus RBIs. Yeah. You can't turn your shoulder on that. You have yeah. to. You have to give no it. way. Got to give it to him. Uh, that'll be an easy one there in the AL. Uh Mitch, let's actually let's let's transition to look at the MLB standings right now as as we round out again. Just a couple of weeks left in the season, the postseason I will be in here at the beginning of October. Uh, and so we've got some races for those uh, postseason spots in Major League Baseball. And for those who, you know, maybe have forgotten this year for the first time, uh, 
the MLB has added an extra wild card team, so there will be six uh, postseason teams from each league, uh, three division winners and three wild card teams. So an extra spot in each league up for grabs here, and that's going to make these races even more fun. Uh, let's start in the AL, Mitch, because we were talking about the Yankees. Uh, only one team right now is locked into the postseason. That's the Houston Astros. They're at 98 wins. Uh, they have the AL pennant, uh, basically for sure. They're nine, basically uh, eight games ahead of the Yankees at this point. Uh, Yankees lead the American League right now by five and a half games, and the Cleveland Guardians lead the Central right now by five games. Uh, those three squads pretty much, I'd say, set to make the postseason in some capacity, whether it is winning, you know, the the division or not. Obviously, Astros are going to be fine. Uh, but as we talk about the wild card, Mitch, this is where the AL gets interesting. You've got the Toronto Blue Jays uh, sitting at 84 and 64 on the season. They're two games up on the Tampa Bay Rays, who are half a game up on the Mariners. Those three teams are locked into the wild card spots right now. There is a group behind them that is a bit of distance, but they have a shot. Baltimore Orioles, 76 and 71. Shout out to the Orioles, man. No one saw that coming. Nobody saw that. Talk about a franchise that's been down bad for a minute. I mean, uh, just finishing over 500 is a win for them this season. But I mean, if they made the wild card, holy cow. But they're five games back. Chicago White Sox are five and a half. And then we've got a couple teams, Twins and Red Sox, still technically in it, but they're below 500. They'll be eliminated here in the next few days. So really uh, that AL, you know, Toronto, Tampa, Seattle, they're going to be in it unless Baltimore or the Chicago White Sox surges. And one of those teams falls. It seems like the six AL teams are pretty much set. Um, I, you know, I think the Yankees are pretty set in the AL East. Maybe Toronto could uh, catch them by by the season's end. But it seems like that's kind of going to be what the AL postseason looks like. Yeah, I mean, it, what a tough break for Baltimore. You put together your best season in since the early 2010s. And you just happen to play in the AL East where you got the Yankees, the Blue Jays and the Rays all in the same yeah. division. I don't think it's going to happen, but their only shot for this is really Seattle falls off. They get in on that third wild card right. um, and and that's how they get in. But Seattle's so solid. J-Rod is yeah. incredible. I mean, it's it's. It's really hard to say that anyone else on the outside looking in is going to get in. I think you're absolutely right. We're, we're locked in right now, I yep. think, in the AL. The NL is a, a much more interesting story, I think. For sure. And we'll jump over there, Mitch. There are three teams that are already locked into the postseason in the NL. The Dodgers, who have the uh, Major League Baseball leading 103 wins this season. Uh, they're Ridiculous. obviously locked in, in the West. Uh, they're 21 games ahead of the 82 win Padres. So yeah, they're, they're secure there in the NL West. Uh, the New York Mets and the Atlanta Braves are both locked into the postseason, 95 and 93 wins respectively. Uh, the Braves are technically just a game back of the Mets though in the NL East. So that division is not determined yet who will be the first wild card and who will win that division still up for grabs there in the NL East, but both those teams will be in the postseason. Uh, the St. Louis Cardinals lead the NL central. They lead by eight games over the Milwaukee Brewers, 87 and 62. That's the record for the Cardinals eight games at this point. That seems pretty much locked uh, as far as that division goes. 
Uh, so when we're talking about the wild card, obviously you're going to have one of the Braves or Mets. Whoever doesn't win the division will be that top team. And then there's two spots left. You've got San Diego, the Padres at 82 and 66. They're a game and a half up on the Philadelphia Phillies, who are 80 and 67. And then just two games back of them is the Milwaukee Brewers at 79 and 70. Uh, Giants, Arizona, Diamondbacks, both those teams are still in it technically, but below 500. So they'll be eliminated pretty quickly. So really, Mitch, this is two final playoff spots between three teams. Uh, Those final two wildcard spots are going to come down to the Padres, the Phillies, and the Brewers, and one of them is missing out. Uh, When we look at this heading into the final stretch here, uh, final two weeks of the season, uh, who do you think is going to be the team that ends up uh, left out of this wildcard race? You know, it's it's hard. There are two teams actually here that are really hard to trust, and that's the Phillies and the Padres. We've seen (laughs) the We've seen the Padres yep. and they actually have the two better odds of those of those three right now uh-huh. to get right. in. Um, but they're really hard to trust because we've seen the Padres have so much hype over the last couple of years. They've fallen off the table. Philadelphia's had a lot of hype over the last couple of years. They don't put the season together that they should. Milwaukee's always sneaky good. Mm-hmm. Um, I think if I'm gonna lock in those that those last two teams to really to get in. Give me Milwaukee, and I mean, just you know, who do you hate less here? I think I hate San Diego less. I think I'm going to okay. take San Diego. I think Philly's the odd man out here. They're just both those teams, man. They're just so hard to trust that they're going to yeah. get it done down the stretch. Yeah, I'm actually with you, Mitch. I, I I will I will roll with San Diego, Milwaukee as well. Uh, Philly's lost five straight games up until this point. Again, recording this on September 21st, so uh, they've dropped off a bit here. Obviously, San Diego then has moved ahead of them, and they're just two games up on the Brewers. So things are not going in the right direction. And I know the Padres have been down bad for a minute, uh, but they are playing better of late. So I think they're going to hang on there uh, for one of those spots. But I'm not going to trust the the Phillies on this one. That's that's tough. Milwaukee's always sneaky reliable. Like they just yeah. kind of get it done when they need to get it done. And so yeah, like, they've been there the last couple of seasons. They've been to an NLCS, you know, uh, I mean, they, yeah, a lot of those guys have been there, played, played postseason ball. I, I think, yeah, that's a team that has its eyes set on the goal and can go get it done for absolutely, sure. Absolutely. Uh, Mitch, just maybe real quick here between the NL East teams, the New York Mets and the Braves, Again, Atlanta trails by just a game back on the Mets, both having a really good season, the defending champion Braves. But uh, obviously the Mets been one of the biggest stories this season. Do you think the Mets maintain uh, the NL East lead and win the division, or do you think the Braves are going to overtake them by season's end? I do. I am going to stick with my preseason prediction here of the Mets winning the division over the Braves, but the Braves actually being the NL East team that goes further in the playoffs. Right. So, um, yeah, I think the Bra- the Mets stick it out. They're going to be a great regular season team. I think what goes on down the stretch is still a giant question mark for the Mets. For sure. For sure. Yeah. Um, I'm going to roll with the Braves though, to, to overtake them. Uh, I mean, both, both teams are playing pretty well right now, obviously a pretty tight race, but this Braves team's really good again, uh, coming off a ring. I mean, that's gotta be feeling confident. So, uh, yeah, I, I'm going to be rolling with, with Atlanta there. Uh, Mitch, let's uh, wrap up the news here with uh, NASCAR update for the folks. 
Yeah, uh, really quick, because I know we got a lot more to get to in this podcast, so we'll be quick with this one. Chris Busher gets the job done at Bristol, um, the 19th different winner in NASCAR this year. That ties, I have to correct myself from last week, 19. That ties the record for the most in the modern era. Um, that would have been 2001 was the last time that we had 19 different drivers win a race in a season. Uh, Chase Elliott, William Byron, Christopher Bell, Kyle Larson, 300 guys in the top five there. Uh, rounding out your top 10, Ross Chastain, AJ Allmendinger, uh, Cole Custer, Denny Hamlin, and then Kevin Harvick. Um, Bristol, it's it's Bristol, baby. Bristol night race is always fantastic. It's, it's one of the... Uh, it's not a crown jewel, but it should be a crown jewel in the sport. It's just one of those ones that's always been one of the most highly anticipated races of the year because Bristol's probably the most exciting track on the circuit. So um, love love the Bristol race. It was a great race. Uh, Chris Buescher, well-deserved there, ran well all night uh, getting the job done for RFK Racing. Um, we also are now in the round of 12. Round of 16 is over. The playoff field has been cut from 16 to 12. And our remaining playoff drivers right now, Chase Elliott, Joey Logano, Ross Chastain, Kyle Larson, William Byron, Denny Hamlin, Christopher Bell, Ryan Blaney, Chase Briscoe, Alex Bowman, Daniel Suarez, and Austin Sendrick. So some big names getting cut out there. Um, Kyle Busch, we talked about him last week. Uh, Tyler Reddick, we talked about him last week. Kevin Harvick. And Austin Dillon, who got in on the one win at Daytona right before the playoffs. So um, some big names getting cut out early, but I think still the best talent. I think we still have a great field of talent here for the uh, for the round of 12. Yeah, man. Crazy. 19 winners. So one more winner and they'll break the record in the modern era. Uh, that's, that's right. Pretty, that's pretty incredible. Uh, when's the next cut down? So now that we're at 12, how does how does the sort of next stage of so, the playoffs go? So there would be now there's going to be eight races left. So the next cut will be at six then okay. at four. So and two then, more races and they'll go down to what? Eight. Is that it's is three that what, or it's three or two because they okay. cut down to four before the last one. The last one is the championship four. So gotcha. Um, we, we still have some more cut downs before we get to eight and then we'll get to four. So the, the okay. rounds get a little bit longer, right. but um. But it, which is kind of good. You weed out, you weed out the stuff in the beginning. So, um, yep. so yeah, that's when the next cut down will be. I'd, I'd have to look at the schedule to, to sure. figure out exactly okay. what race. No worries. Is, but, well, um, good stuff. Yeah, it's, it's ramping up. It's ramping up. You guys should be tuning in on Sundays or Saturday nights. Like we had this yeah. last week. So yeah. There, and where are we at next week? Next week we're at Texas. So next week at Texas. Yeah. Okay. It's going to be a, going to be a good one. A little different than Bristol, huh? Much, much (laughs) different. Big, fast, you know, mile and a half quad oval. It'll be it'll be a good one. No doubt. All right. All right, Mitch, let's uh, let's go into the campus tour. Uh, Speaking of traveling around uh, the the nation, you know, Bristol to Texas. Uh, Let's go around the world of college football, Mitch, with the campus tour and a little week three recap. Uh, some of the notable things from this past week, uh, Mitch, one of the things that stuck out to me was it seemed like in large part the week of close calls. There were some upsets and we'll get to some of those later. Um, 
And there were some group of five over power five upsets that we saw, but none with ranked teams. We didn't have a Marshall Notre Dame. You know, we didn't have an app state uh, Texas A&M, but we had a lot of games that man, they came so close to it. Uh, USF almost knocked off Florida, probably should have knocked off Florida, had the opportunity, fumbled the bag at the end of the game. They lost 31 to 28, but they could have knocked off ranked Florida. Uh, Wake Forest survived against Liberty. They were down, had to come back. They won that game 37-36, but a ranked Wake Forest team almost got knocked off. Uh, And then these two weren't ranked, but UCLA, South Alabama came down to the wire. That was 32-31. UCLA surviving against, uh, well, they're the Panthers, right? South Alabama Panthers. Yes. And uh, And then Indiana. Western Kentucky. I thought this one was over at one point. I thought uh, the Hilltoppers were going to get it done, uh, but no, uh, the Hoosiers survived. They go to overtime. They won that 33-30. So, Mitch, after a first couple weeks where it felt like a lot of upsets, a lot of upsets, ranked teams getting knocked off, this week it was felt like teams getting close, but not quite the fireworks that we'd seen uh, in the past. This The suspects of the close calls really don't surprise me much. Got teams like Florida. <laughs> Wake Forest guys that are UC, kind of UCLA that UCLA. doesn't surprise me <laughs> well and more so Florida and Wake Forest because they're kind of those fringe top 25 teams sure and so yeah. like if there's if anyone is subject to an upset it would be those fringe 25 teams uh top 25 teams so like those don't shock me as much or those act those are probably the more impactful is probably what I should say right um, the UCLA thing, I mean, that program's garbage right now. <laughs> Not a UCLA fan. Um, <laughs> Indiana is extremely hot. They had like the one good run a couple of years ago. And then like they're, yeah. they're with they're Michael kind of, Penix and, uh, what was Mike their wide Penix. receiver's name? Ty, uh, Fry Fogel. That was yeah. 2020. They had a really hot start to that season. That's right. I mean, so like it, it doesn't like the UCLA, Indiana close calls. Yeah. Uh, whatever, but whatever. But the UF and the Wake Forest stuff, it, it really is like a I mean, should we be thinking about these teams as top 25 teams now? I mean, that's maybe a little bit quick reaction, especially with and I love Anthony Richardson, but it might be a little bit of a quick reaction here. USF always plays teams tough like they may not be good, but they always seem to play tough. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it is uh, certainly interesting. Yeah, I mean, especially with Florida, Mitch, I just think after that Utah win, I mean, they just not looked like the same team at all. It's like, what? where was that offense? Where was that Anthony Richardson against Kentucky, right? And I think it was a lot of like, well, Kentucky's really good. We'll give him the benefit of the doubt. Well, he looked bad again this week against a much inferior opponent in USF. So that's not a good sign for him. Uh, any of those 2023 draft hopes that people were having for Anthony Richardson, it just seems like maybe... Uh, we put a pause on that. Maybe he's more of a 2024 prospect. Uh, maybe a little more college football experience would do him well, but we'll see how uh, he turns it around there. Uh, there were three ranked teams that did lose last week, Mitch. Michigan State, number 11 Spartans falling at Husky Stadium to Washington. And we did this in the quick pick. So we called this and we both picked UW. So you should have saw this coming, but obviously the Huskies got a big win. They jumped up in the top 25. We'll talk about that here in a second, but. Uh, they upset the Big Ten team there in Seattle. BYU got upset. Number 12, BYU upset by number 25. Oregon, big 41 to 21 in that one. Uh, Cougars falling, but to a ranked opponent. And then uh, Miami, number 13, Miami falling to Texas A&M at home, uh, 17 to 9. Or sorry, Miami on the road there. 
so that's where, you know, three ranked teams lost 11, 12, and 13 in the rankings, but two of them were to top 25 opponents, and one was to a power five team that the very next week jumped into the top 25. So I didn't take much from these losses as indictments necessarily of BYU or Michigan State or Miami as much as it is uh, that their opponents were probably a little better than we gave them credit for. I'm not worried about any of these teams. I'm not yeah. worried about them one bit. We talked about Texas A&M's defense and how they could shut down Miami. Um, BYU <laughs> played a very formidable opponent. Um, yeah. I mean, it, it, it's it's hard to walk away from that and feel like you're going to be worried about BYU. Oregon's weird. Oregon is really weird. So and, weird. And they're just going to be one of those teams that hangs around. Like, they're not going to be a top 10 or top 15 team, but they're going to mm-hmm. hang around and, and be – they're going to be disruptors for the rest of the top 25. Um, And then uh, I'm sorry with, with the Washington thing, Michigan state, Washington stuff. You're absolutely right. I mean, Washington is going to be a top 25 team at some point this year. And um, it, 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 you can't hold really that against Michigan. Michigan might be a Michigan state might be a little bit overhyped, but not, not egregiously. So I'm not worried about any of these teams. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Uh, Mitch, uh, you know who people should be worried about this year, though? The Kansas Jayhawks. Is Kansas mm. football, Are they? have they made it? Are they big time now? Uh, they won last week over Houston on the road, 48-30. to 30. Houston was ranked in the top 25 to start the season. They fell to Texas Tech, dropped out of the rankings. Uh, they fell to 1-2 to two of the season. But Kansas starts off 3-0, and oh, and, I mean, man, they've looked pretty good. Uh, it seems like they might have this thing turned around is Kansas legit. This is one of those teams. I think if you're sort of just following college football, just keep an eye on the Jayhawks. Cause uh, you know, they could be making some noise in the big 12. Uh, they're going to have some opportunities there with some ranked teams. And I don't know, Kansas is a, not a football team. We think about very often, but it seems like things are turning around for them. I don't know. It's, it's crazy to see. It's really hard for me to say that they're back. Like I think was it 07 they had that big fat guy that coached them and they <laughs> yeah. were a, they were a top 5 team yes, in the country. Yes. Um it's hard for me to say that they're back, but they are 3 and 0 and they're putting up 51 points a game. Like yeah. that that's insane that's incredibly impressive. Let's keep in mind who they played though. Tennessee Tech not good. West yeah. Virginia struggling. Well, but but you know but that's a pretty good that's power five team that what they well, don't ever kansas beat west is a virginia power five team kansas yeah but is a power kansas five doesn't ever beat power five teams they don't they don't kansas ever compete doesn't ever against beat their anybody own. so like exactly like, what are we talking about that's um, impressive and then, then then houston not as good as we thought they were going to be so like i Maybe. i'm not going to buy in that they're legit i think they've had a okay. great three and oh start but i do want to point out the fact they played duke this week another three and oh team Yes. They play Iowa State the following week, another 3 0 mm-hmm. team. They got TCU, a 2 0 team. Yeah. Then they have a run of Oklahoma, Baylor, and Oklahoma State. Then Texas Tech, then Texas, and then K State to round out the year. So, you know what? If you want to buy into the fact that they're legit, more power to you. I think that there is so much test to come for this Kansas team that I'm just not going to buy in, and I have to I have to see it to believe it. That's where I'm at right okay. now. Okay. 
I, Mitch, you're taking the reasonable response. I am not, though. I am buying the Jayhawks stock. And, uh, you know, a lot of it is their quarterback, Jalen, Jalen Daniels. He's uh, been fantastic. Been extremely impressive. And he was a young guy who got some run in 2020, got some run last year, showed some promise. But, I mean, man, his start to this season through three games, seven touchdowns, one interception. Uh, 67 uh, completing 67 percent of his passes uh, only 70 attempts he's not you know passing the ball a lot because he's such a threat on the ground 27 attempts for 237 yards and three touchdowns through three games so uh, he is a he seems legit and again I mean we talk about this all the time Mitch in college football uh, you know if you have a great quarterback you can win that really it's like programs get turned around by just being able to recruit and get great quarterbacks. And, uh, you know, it seems like they have a pretty good one. So I am curious. Listen, I think the next couple of weeks, Duke, Iowa State, they can get through those. But imagine we're talking about a 5-0 and undefeated Kansas team. Maybe they're ranked in the top 25 heading into that stretch that you mentioned of uh, Baylor and Oklahoma and Oklahoma State. I mean, that that could be fun. We could be talking about some big-time matchups, some pressure on the Jayhawks. I love it. So Kansas, a team to watch. Just keep that out there in your minds, guys. On college football, they could be uh, they could be having some fun this year. Mitch Herm Edwards. We talked about a coach firing last week. We're just a couple weeks into the college football season. Coaches are losing their jobs. It's a crazy world. We'll probably have another one next week. Uh, this week's edition, Mitch, is Herm Edwards, uh, who is out as the head coach of Arizona State. They got upset by Eastern Michigan uh, this weekend. And there's a video you may have seen online of the athletic director greeting Herm in the ed- in the end zone on the field after the game. They shake hands, they talk for a bit, and then they walk off the field together. And you can't hear what they're saying. You can't necessarily see what they're saying. But the impression is given that uh, there was an understanding there that Herm Edwards' job was no longer going to be there <laughs> in Arizona State uh, by, the, by the way that conversation went or whatever subsequent conversation they had. Uh, so Herm Edwards is out uh, after just, what, three seasons at Arizona State, mired in controversy, COVID protocol, uh, you know, the issues that they had. There could be sanctions coming down on them any minute. Uh, that's still undetermined. Uh, and they've just underperformed under Herm Edwards. So a mass exodus in the transfer portal this this summer, and it hasn't led to any success for them with the players that they were able to get back. Not a good situation for Arizona State. Uh, we'll have to look to enter a new era in what will be a new look Pac-10, Pac-12 conference. Things didn't go right in Arizona State for Herm Edwards. They, they just didn't go right. So, like, it, it's it's time to move on. Um, I, what was he hired three years ago? I, I think yeah, it was about three so. years that he had been there. So, um, it, it's time to move on. I don't think Herm Edwards is done in football, though. I think that he'll find a job somewhere, whether that's in a in a – college program or with an NFL team. Um, the guy was a winner in the NFL guy won with the jets. He, he, he turned teams around. He won with the chiefs like yeah. guys, guys, a good coach. And he, he's a, he's kind of a hoorah type of guy. He, he you know, he, he's a good, you know, he fires guys up and gets them ready to go. Um, he's going to find a role. Um, also very smart football mind. So, you know, if he's a, an advisor to a, to a certain team, Right. Um, as far as maybe, you know, an offensive consultant or a defensive consultant, you know, he's, he's going to find a role in football. I don't think he's done in football yet. And quite honestly, we know the competitor Herm Edwards is, he's not going to ride off into the sunset, getting fired at Arizona state. Like he's, he's, 
he's got to find another rule and go out on his own terms. So um, probably the right call for Arizona State. I, I agree with you. I think he probably knew what was coming when he had that conversation on the field. Um, but he's not done. He's not done by any means. Yeah, I don't think so either. You know, I, uh, I, I, I think that they'll, he'll find a spot somewhere and, um, you know, but interesting, Arizona state's just a fascinating situation. And I just don't know what kind of great prospects that they can really bring in, in just with the state of their program right now and the future of their conference, right? Like what, how appealing is that job with such uncertainty, maybe around the future of the pack 10 pack 12. So I do wonder of the candidates, some of the names that have been mentioned, uh, the the number one name mentioned, which in all honesty, I think is the most unlikely is BYU head coach Kalani Satake. He's been mentioned by multiple people as someone they would view as a top candidate and understandably so with the way that he turned around that BYU program. But his dream has always been to coach at BYU. If he left, it would not be for Arizona State. Uh, it would be for something much bigger. So I don't he's think the, he's he's realistic, but you you wonder, Mitch, do they go with a young upcoming head coach like a Jimmy Chatwell from Coastal Carolina, somebody innovative, somebody different? Or do they try to bring in somebody experienced, right? Like uh, Gary Patterson, the longtime TCU head coach who just left there. Uh, Dan Mullen is a name mentioned by Chris Vanini of The Athletic. Uh, former Florida head coach with experience, somebody like that who can sort of turn the program around, get some positive energy and culture moving forward. It will be interesting to see in what direction they go there. Gary Patterson would be interesting. Um, Kalani Sataki is not leaving BYU. I mean, he's the yeah. next Lavelle Edwards. Like he, yeah. he's the guy that's yeah. going to be there for his career. Like that's, that's your guy. He's BYU's Bear Bryant. Like he's going to figure it out in BYU and he's, I'll just say it right now. He's going to get the Manatee someday. I think so. Look, but here, here's some intriguing ones here. Matt rule. If it doesn't (laughs) work out in Carolina, maybe he goes to the pac 12. Honestly, that's, that's probably their best opportunity. He's he's a, he's a much better college coach than he is a professional coach. I think he recruits really well. He turned Baylor was struggling at the time that he took the Baylor job and Mm -hmm. he turned them around really quick. He turned a temple around too before that. So I also think, too, and I'm hoping for this one so that the offense at Alabama does better, but I hope that Bill O'Brien's gone. And, oh, yeah, there you uh, go. He gets a head coaching job at Arizona State, and I think that stocks on the Alabama offense go <laughs> – like they just go way up. <laughs> and Because Bill O'Brien's no longer the offensive coordinator. Yeah. I, I couldn't give a shit about Arizona State. The, Bama's offense is going to be better without Bill O'Brien. So some other, some other interesting yeah. names maybe to throw there around. Go. There's going to be a ton to throw around, too. Yeah, we'll be certainly interesting to see. I guess I my, the, my main intrigue is, again, what direction do they go? Do they bring in an experienced head coach with prior head coaching at a high level to come in and sort of set a culture? Do they bring in somebody young, first power five opportunity, give him a shot and hope he, you hit on the next superstar in college football? Uh, you know, we'll see uh, what Arizona State does there. Mitch, we've got a couple categories that we want to hit. Uh, in our recap, this will be fun. Something we want to incorporate every week. Uh, the group of five upset of the week, the best upset from a group of five team over a power five team uh, every week. So Mitch, you give us uh, your pick this week for the group of five upset of the week. Yeah, I, my upset, give it to the green wave of Tulane. Tulane over K-State. Look, there was a lot of hype 
around surrounding K-State. Adrian Martinez comes over to K-State. He's been in college football for like the last 25 years. Uh, he just hasn't gone away. Uh, I'm pretty sure he's a seventh-year senior or something like that. It's it's something ridiculous like that. Um, he's garbage, though. And um, there, it, it was just an ugly game all around. But I think to be a team with a ton of hype behind it and the potential to go out and win ball games is big for a team type Tulane who's just year in and year out not very good. So yeah, I took Tulane over K State as my upset of the week. That's a great yeah. one. I mean, you talked about K State getting hype. It was coming from this podcast. I've been hyping them. I was high on uh, the Wildcats as a sleeper team in the Big Twelve, and I still am. You know, they've got a good. They they're going to be a test for Oklahoma this week. Uh, maybe Oklahoma's first real test of the season, but. Uh, you know, certainly disappointing to see them. You know, it's funny, Mitch. I got a point. I got to call myself out here on this. Uh oh. Um, I got I got to call myself out here on this because I knew what I was doing. I knew what I was getting myself into when I did this. Uh, and I literally sent this tweet out and then immediately thought to myself, you know, maybe I should have kept this one in the drafts first. You know, maybe <laughs> I should have just kept this one in the drafts for a second. Before I put this out and just and just maybe see how how the week plays out before I do this. But I tweeted out after Oklahoma won their game. Or after Oklahoma won the beat Nebraska, Oklahoma will get their first real test of the season next week against an underrated Kansas State team. Uh, So far, (laughs) though, the Sooners have looked legit. And then three hours later, K-State loses to Tulane. And I'm like, I should have just. Kept it in the drafts till after K-State wins. And then if they don't win, you don't tweet it. I should have known better, Mitch. That's that's bad luck. That's a bad luck. It's on me. Kansas State, I'm sorry I did this to you. I caused the loss. Uh, you hate to see it. Uh, Mitch, the G5 upset of the week for me, Southern Illinois over Northwestern. And listen, Northwestern isn't great. They're one and two on the season, and their only win is in Ireland, not even on this continent, over Nebraska. The Scott Frost led Nebraska squad. So certainly not impressive, but impressive for Southern Illinois to pull off this upset, Mitch, at Northwestern. Mitch, the Southern Illinois Saluskis, uh, I got it, Salukis? Salukis. That is their mascot. Uh, Mitch, they lost their season opener to Incarnate Word, and they lost 64 to 29. Ugh. And then two weeks later, they knock off Northwestern. You love to see it. I loved that. Southern Illinois might win two games this year, but damn it, one of them came against Northwestern. You love to see it. Uh, Northwestern. I mean, <laughs> I mean, yeah, a great win for Southern Illinois. Like you said, they lost to Incarnate Word in week one. Like that's big, like, big. <laughs> like that's con- that's a convincing loss. Yeah. And uh, so, yeah, good for them. Speaking of group of five, schools Dallin that leads us into our college football trivia question of the week presented by absolutely nobody because we don't have sponsors <laughs> um if you would like to sponsor the podcast send us a message and we would love to plug your product here for a certain yeah. price like I mean Insert come on certain name here we'd love yeah. to so uh, if you're interested in sponsoring the college football trivia question of the week go ahead and leave us a message uh, on any of our social Dallin yeah. trivia question of the week are you ready I'm, I'm so ready here we go on the NCAA all-time rushing leaders list, there are three group of five running backs in the top ten. Travis Prentice from Miami, Ohio at number nine. Okay. Donnell Pumphrey from San Ooh. Diego State University at number three. 
And this former Memphis running back at number seven. Oh, boy, man. There are a lot of Memphis running backs. There was a stretch of them here recently. And man, I got to I got to I got to think of which of I even got to think of names. Mitch, can I get a hint? Can I get a hint here? Would you like a hint? Yes, yes. You got it. Uh, He was a first round draft pick in the 2006 NFL draft. First round draft pick in 06. Oh, Mitch, I am just I'm going to kick myself on this one. I know because I know when I hear the name, it's going to click. But I am going to be honest with you. I don't have a single name coming to mind. Oh, uh, Dallin. I I've I fell flat here. I'm going to I'm going to throw out the name that I know is not correct, but I'm going to give you Darren McFadden because I think he was drafted around the same time. Yeah, so but he was go. Arkansas. I know. I know Arkansas. it wasn't correct. I just wanted to give a name for name's sake. So tell me yeah. who it was. Dallin, this is your boy, former Carolina Panther, D'Angelo Williams. Oh, wow. Wow. Man, that hurts. Yeah. That I, know. Hurts. I was I was almost positive. You're gonna, I was like, I, he's got to know this. Man. That hurts. I'm not going to lie. I didn't like him being a Memphis alum isn't like. It's something it's, I remember. Yeah, it's, it's not at the top yeah, of the brain. You're right. You no, you're right there. No, so, but I mean, he's up there. What 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 was his position in the top rushing rankings? Uh, Number seven. Number seven. Wow. Number seven all time. Yep. Number seven all time. 27th overall in the first round to the Panthers. So there you go. Shoot. Yeah. Well, man, keep pounding. You love to keep, see it. Hey, keep pounding, baby. <laughs> Uh, speaking of running backs, Mitch, let's talk about uh, in our recap, we're going to do a player of the week every week for you guys. Uh, standout performance. Uh, and mine this week was a running back. It was Mo Ibrahim, Muhammad Ibrahim, mm. the running back for the Minnesota Gophers, uh, who beat up on Colorado this weekend, 49 to seven. And in that game, Mo Ibrahim, 23 carries, 202 yards and three touchdowns for the senior. His name may sound familiar to you guys. Uh, in 2020, he had a big season for Minnesota. 200 rushes, 1,000 yards, and 15 touchdowns. Uh, he had a lot of hype going into last season as a running back for draft prospect, potentially heading into that senior season. Uh, and then he suffered an injury. Uh, only had 30 carries last season. Uh, not a lot of playing time. But he's started off this season very strong for uh, the 3-0 and Golden Gophers. 67 attempts, 464 yards, and seven touchdowns, but a big game against Colorado. He's a name to watch in this in what is a very talented running back draft class. Uh, he could be somebody who rises up there again because he had all that promise. Started as a freshman, had 1,000 yards as a freshman in 2018 as well. So uh, just really great performance last week. I remember the hype. and. Yeah. Boy, was this kid hyped and good to see him come back from the injury and and absolutely light it up at, at, against good. Colorado. Love, yep. love to see that success from him. Um, My player of the week is probably the most underrated. Quarterback prospect coming out of this draft, coming into this draft, and that's going to be Michael Penix, Jr. Oh. Um, of UW getting it done against Michigan State. 
Uh, 24 for 40, 397 and four with a QB rating of 176.4. Guy lit it up. I mean, not bad. Guy just takes advantage of what he's given. Um, he's a, he's a spectacular talent. And, um, I think that he is going to be vastly overlooked when it's coming to NFL combine time and, all the metrics are there for him. All the metrics are there for him right now. A little over a thousand yards passing 10 touchdowns, only one interception, a QBR of 88.6 kids. Good kids, yep. real good. And I hope he did. He's also a guy that I could see staying for one more year just to get that draft stock up just a little bit. But I mean, I would love to see him in the league sooner rather than later, because I think this kid's ready and man, he, he, he can play ball. He can play. Ball. Yeah. He's had a great start to a season there in Seattle leading this Husky squad. And I'm excited to see them hit Pac-12 conference play here uh, and see how they stack up against the rest of the conference. Because, again, we talked about them as one of those sneaky teams. Uh, Big upset early in the season. Perhaps they can make some noise in the Pac-12. Mitch, the last thing here, best moment or best play from the weekend? You go first. I mean, it's the the Hail Mary from App State against Troy uh, to win the ballgame. I mean – just it's an all-time moment it's up well it's not up there with Doug Flutie's Hail Mary but you know it's one of those (laughs) moments where you have that last play of the game you're trying to win the ball game Chase Bryce throws a throws a ball into a sea of hands like there's but I think there's maybe two App State receivers three App State receivers and about five DBs from Troy (laughs) and the ball bounces off right into an App State receiver I don't have the App State receiver's name up but right into his hands scores App State wins the game. This also comes on the week that college game day is at App State with storied alumni Luke Combs being on college game day um, and thanking Texas A&M for their $1.5 million donation to the university. Um, (laughs) It's just a fantastic finish, and you love to see it for, for a group of five team that's been competing really well with, uh, with top 25 power five teams and, and looks to be like maybe a potential top 25 team here in the future. Yeah, certainly borderline there. Uh, A great moment. I'm sure you saw the viral video of the sorority girls from Troy watching the final play. And it's their POV of their reaction. They think that they've won it. And then the horror on their face when they realize App State scored the touchdown. It's incredible. Uh, incredible moment there. That was definitely a good one. I went with Mitch in the South Alabama UCLA game. Uh, this decision, it's not it's best moment. It's it's the worst play of the weekend, but it's the best moment. Uh, South Alabama leads the Bruins late in the fourth quarter. They've got the ball fourth and two at the UCLA 21, and they line up for a 33, 39-yard field goal attempt. But instead of kicking the field goal, they attempt a fake field goal to try to pick up the fourth and like uh, put the game out of reach or something. It would have been a five point game had they kicked the field goal would have forced UCLA to go down and score a touchdown. Instead, UCLA sacks uh, the, you know, the placeholder on the play 11 yard loss. UCLA goes down kicks the game when he filled the goal themselves and wins. And it's like, one of those moments where you say, coach, don't, oh, don't you outsmarted yourself. Okay. You tricked yourself. You didn't trick anybody else. You tricked yourself. All right. Just take, take the damn points. All right. Take the damn points or line up 
in I formation on fourth and two and run the ball if you're going to do it. You know what I mean? Like, don't don't be doing none of this tricky shit. That's uh, you're South Alabama. Know where you're at. You know, uh, that was just what don't, were you thinking? Don't put yourself in a Nathaniel Hackett situation. Don't do yeah. it. Just like <laughs> just do what you know you're supposed to do and get it. Yeah. Done. Yeah. Yeah. That was the bad, bad luck. But uh, yeah, crazy fun weekend of games. I'm sure more fun to be had. Mitch, let's look uh, real quickly at the AP top 25 rankings for this week. A quick reaction. The top 10, basically the same. The only difference is that Oklahoma State and Kentucky swapped. So Kentucky went up to eight Oklahoma State back at nine. The top five is Georgia, Alabama, Ohio State, Michigan, Clemson, respectively. Uh, Michigan State was number 11 after losing to Washington. They fall out completely of the top 25, no longer ranked for the Spartans. BYU and Miami both dropped after losing their games. BYU dropped seven spots to number 19. Miami dropped 12 spots all the way down to number 25. Washington, as we mentioned, Mitch, enters the top 25 this week at number 18. Uh, so a huge leap for the Huskies, who were unranked coming into this week, but the big upset nets them in the top 20. Uh, four top, There's four Pac-12 teams, Mitch, in the top 25. Now you, USC at number seven, Utah 13, Oregon up to 15, 10 points after their upset of BYU. And then those Huskies there at number 18. One more notable thing here, no group of five teams in the rankings. The highest group of five teams to receive votes was Appalachian State, who, uh, based on their receiving votes, would be 28th. Uh, so just sort of right out there. Uh, any reactions to the top 25 poll this week? Um, I mean, no, I mean, the right teams are in there, I think. I think that we have the right 25 there. BYU is going to be one of those teams that bounces around, I think, a little bit. You know, one week they're 11, one week they're 17, one week they're 12, one week they're 20. Like, they're just going to bounce around and – but they're going to get some hallmark wins here, I think, where they can kind of settle themselves in um, to that kind of maybe top 15-ish range. Um, but other than that, I I think the right top 15 teams are in there. I'm just glad that the committee didn't screw up too bad and put a two-loss team uh, in the top 25. I, congrats <laughs> yeah. to them. You didn't screw it up this week. Good, to, three good week, for you. Three weeks in, and we're doing okay. That's uh, that's a good sign there, Mitch. Uh, let's get to our college football games to watch this week. Okay, Mitch, looking back at last week in our games that we picked, uh, just a w- quick recap. So Miami got uh, upset by Texas A&M. We both picked Miami, but Mitch... You locked yeah. the Hurricanes. That was my first lock loss of the year. Yep. I hate to see it. So a minus one point there for Mitch, which is tough. We both, though, hit NC State, who beat Texas Tech. So both get a point there. We both miss a point on BYU as we picked the Cougars over the Ducks. But we also both got a point for the Huskies upsetting Michigan State. However, that was my lock. So Mitch... Uh, minus three and a half was the line. The Huskies got it done by 11. So I got three points from my lock. We stand at this point after two weeks, I've got nine points and you have six. It is crazy. It makes you realize how much pressure is on this lock because it can swing in just one week. The difference we were tied after one week, you know, it swung drastically. I mean, I, I had a net gain of one. Yeah, yeah. I had a yeah. gain of one. 
and right. I still picked three winners. So like it, it's it's big, it's big. So or yes. I guess two winners, but you know, yeah, it it can happen really really quick. But yeah, for sure, certainly uh, certainly interesting and more pressure on this week uh, as we've got another great slate of games to pick, Mitch. So let's start with. Our first matchup here, top 25 matchup, an SEC matchup, number 10, Arkansas, headed to College Station to take on number 23, Texas A&M. The Aggies are favored minus one and a half at home over Arkansas. Over under is 48 and a half. Arkansas is in the top 10, 3 and 0 in the season. Texas A&M, number 23. They did beat Miami, but they also lost to Appalachian State. And that offense has just done nothing this year, but that defense, they are legit. Arkansas is a challenge though, Mitch, that is a very good team in the sec. Who are you taking in this game? I think this is the first really, really good challenge for Arkansas. Um, I hate the points. If I could bet the money line, if you're in a legal gambling state, don't take the points. Don't take the over under, just take the money line. But I'm going to take Texas A&M here okay. to beat Arkansas. Arkansas has to lose some game somewhere where they're not going undefeated. And if they're going to lose to they're, they're going to lose to a team, they might as well lose to a team with a an elite defense. And I think that Texas A&M is going to be that team that gets it done. Um, Arkansas, don't take the points. Don't take the over-under. Take the money line here. But uh, Texas A&M in this one. Okay, Mitch, I am rolling with the hogs here. I am all in on Arkansas this year. I think they're legit. Love their quarterback, KJ Jefferson. We've spoken at length on this podcast about them and about him. And they're not falling this week. To I Texas love A&M. KJ. I am taking the hogs and this is my lock for the week, Mitch. I'm taking oh, wow. Arkansas to get the win, the upset on the road, as they are the underdogs in this game. Uh, I just feel very strongly about this Arkansas team, and they will have some tough challenges this year at BYU and within the SEC uh, schedule that they have, but this should be a good one. But I'm locking in Arkansas. I, I think this is a good bet if you're in a legal gambling state. If you're not, you know, I guess disregard this, but... You know, it is a good line to take at plus one and a half because, like, all you're asking is Arkansas's defense to step up. That's all you're yeah. asking them to do. A field so, goal win. That's it, you know? That's totally doable against uh, Texas A&M's not very good offense right yeah. now. So, I like that. Yeah. That'll be a great game to watch. 5 p.m. Uh, Mountain, 4 p.m. Pacific on ESPN. I, I spoke, misspoke, Mitch. This is not in College Station. This is at Jerry World. This game mm. played at AT&T Stadium in Arlington, Texas. So a neutral site game. Uh, interesting that, I mean, it is in the state of Texas and Arkansas is not too far from that, but interesting that in a neutral site, Texas A&M being favored here still uh, over well, number it, 10 Arkansas. It, that I, That is a little interesting to me. It's Texas. I don't think it's that, it, what, College Station's not that far. Or not, it's probably not, not that Station. far, but Arkansas is not that far either. So I don't know. That's, I just find that a little not interesting. Not that far that from Kyle not a home Field. game. They'll pack this thing out. They'll pack this thing out. So should be a good one. Mitch, another top 25 matchup that we're going to be watching this week. And that is number five Clemson uh, facing their first real test of the season on the road at number 21, Wake Forest, the Demon Deacons in Winston-Salem. It's a 9 a.m. Pacific time kickoff on ABC. Big time game, big time quarterbacks. 
DJ Uyunglele for the Clemson Tigers, and Sam Hartman uh, for Wake Forest, who came back last week and looked really good. Again, we talked about it. They had to survive against Liberty, but showed some tenacity in doing so. And now they face a tough test with the Clemson Tigers coming into town. Clemson is favored minus seven in this game, Mitch. Over-unders at 56. I'll go first here. I like this Wake Forest team, and I like Sam Hartman a lot. They were one of those fun surprises from last season, that ACC championship game between them and Pitt. A lot of fun, that battle in the ACC this year, and I certainly think they'll be competitive in the conference. But this Clemson team, the offense I have questions about, this defense I do not. That that front seven and that defensive line for Clemson is arguably the best in the country. Uh, and that is going to be an extremely tough challenge for Wake Forest. So if I were taking, if I had to bet on Clemson minus seven, I would not bet on that. I would take the under there, that it would be a tighter win. But I will roll with Clemson in this game for the pick. Mm. Mm. Dallin, killing me here. I love Sam Hartman. I love dogs. I love dogs. Woof, woof. Give me Clemson. Yeah. I know. I, 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 this is probably the tougher one of the week to pick. I, I, I just, yeah, I like Wake sure. Forest a ton. I just, and I love dogs and the line's great. I just, I, Clemson's so damn good right now. I, I, I can't pick against them, I think. Yeah, it's tough. Again, their first test, we'll see how how truly they fare. But I think this will be a closer game. I don't think Clemson covers in this one. Again, maybe it's like a three or four point win ultimately for the Tigers. Uh, but I, I do think Clemson going to pull this out. We both are taking Clemson here on the road. Mitch, next game, Pac-12 matchup, number seven USC with talking about first test of the season. A lot of those this week uh, for some teams and certainly the case here with USC as they head up to Beaverton or sorry, to Corvallis to take on uh, Oregon State. 3-0 and Oregon State, 3-0 and USC. The Trojans are favored, minus 6.5 on the road, over under 71. This game taken place, going to kick off at 6.30 p.m. Pacific on the Pac-12 network. Mitch, how are you feeling about this Pac-12 matchup? Are the Trojans going to get it done with this high-powered offense, or... The Beavers have upset upset on their mind. I think that Oregon State is a very sneaky team. Like you've said multiple times over the last few weeks, they, they're sneaky. But USC's offense is so damn good. It's explosive how good USC's offense is. Caleb Williams, Lincoln Riley, and the crew, they're doing everything right on the offensive side of the ball. Here's what I'm going to say. Lock me in on USC. At six and a half. Okay. And if you're actually putting money on this game, take the over. Take the over. I think with this Trojans team, that's a fair fair thing to do almost any week. Life's too short to bed the under. Take the (laughs) over at at 71 and give me USC at minus six and a half. That's my lock, I think. Okay, Mitch. Mitch locks the Trojans this week to get it done on the road. Minus six and a half over... The Beavers. Mitch, I am rolling with Oregon State in this one. I think the Beavers have upset on their mind, and I'm not convinced by this USC team. 
I, I know the offense could put up points. They they certainly have the talent, and that every game's going to be a shootout. But that defense is sus. And on the road, in a tough environment, in a physical game, how will they be tested? How will they respond with a first with a new head coach there and a lot of new players? Not a lot of culture there, just a lot of talent. And I don't think that's going to win out in the end. I think USC's good. I still think they're like a 10-11 win team. They're probably going to lose maybe one or two games in Pac-12 play. And this on the road at Oregon State, uh, they don't have a tough schedule, Mitch. Besides this and at Utah in October, they don't really have a game remaining on the schedule that you look at and say, that's a tough one. Like most of them are pretty much cakewalks. So I think in a game where they might be overlooking their opponent and thinking big, give me Oregon State to get the upset here. So are you with me on the over then? Um, I am going to say 71. Oh, man. I mean, that's a I'm going to say no, because I think if Oregon State wins, they have to keep USC to under like 35 or something. So I would say I would say under because I'm taking. I mean, that's uh, a 35, 36 game. I right. mean, yeah, okay. so I'm going to take the under, but I'm okay. I'm with you. I think, like I said, I think the over with the Trojans is going to be the right call many times this season. The final game here, an uh, uh, unranked matchup, but a matchup. Of undefeated teams, Mitch. Number uh, we have Duke heading to Kansas. Yes, this is not college basketball, folks. This is not a blue blood matchup on the hardwood. This is football, baby. Three and O Duke, three and O Kansas. This will take place 9 a.m. Pacific on FS1. We talked about Kansas. They've been a surprise. Jalen Daniels, their quarterback been a surprise this duke team though starting off the season three and oh not too bad themselves kansas favored by seven points in this matchup at home over under 66 and a half mitch i am rolling with the jayhawks as i said earlier they've got more on their mind than knocking off the blue devils of duke uh they're gonna get it done and i would even take the over on this one they get it done by 10 plus i do want to point out duke right now averaging 14.3 points per game it's got to be one of the better ones in the country. It's got to be. Um, 14.3 allowed, right? 14.3 allowed, yes. Man, that's averaging stingy. That's very stingy. Over, yeah, I, I think this Duke team is are competitors. I think they are. I think they're going to be spoilers for a lot of team. Um, but I love Jalen Daniels in this 53 points a game offense that they have going on right now. Give me Kansas. I'm going to take Kansas. Um, I'm not going to take the over, though. I think that it's going to be a a you know a, a 31 24 type game. We're not going to get to that 66 and a half or that 67 mark really that we have to get to hit the over. So, um, but I like Kansas in this one. With yep. you. I'm with you all the way. Okay, all right, that's it for our games to watch this week. Should be another fun slate of college football. Mitch, player to know before the NFL draft here as we wrap up the campus tour. Last week, we talked about wide receiver Jordan Addison from the U, uh, University of Southern California. Week before that, Bryce Young, quarterback Alabama. This week, Mitch, I want to talk about a guy who uh, we both considered for our player of the week because he had a big performance in his team's win uh, this uh, this past weekend. Uh, but he is number one in his position and might be one of the highest drafted running backs that we've seen in the past five or six years. And that's Bijan Robinson, the running back out of Texas. Six foot, 220, 
highly touted coming out of high school when he committed to Texas. 2020 season, he was great. 2021, played 500 snaps. He was excellent this season. He's doing much of the same thing for the Longhorns. 51 carries, 311 yards, and five touchdowns on the season so far. Last season as a sophomore, had 195 carries, over 1,100 rushing yards, and 11 touchdowns. He is... Uh, he's just your prototypical running back prospect. He's got the size. He's got the speed. He's got the build. He's got everything that NFL teams are, are going to want. And that is why Mitch, he is, uh, he is very high on draft boards, much higher than we normally see running backs, uh, when it comes to the NFL draft and the ESPN consensus top 10 overall, Mitch, he is prospect number five, a running back. In 2022 is prospect number five, only behind CJ Stroud, Bryce Young, Will Anderson, and Jalen Carter, the tackle out of Georgia. That is it. Those are the only people that ESPN had behind Bijan Robinson on their consensus board. That is the type of prospect we're talking about here at running back. Uh, he's clearly running back one in this class, though this is a, in my opinion, a pretty deep class of running backs. And we'll probably mention a couple of those names throughout this season in this in this segment. Uh, Sean Tucker out of Syracuse, Deuce Vaughn out of Kansas State, Tank Bigsby out of Auburn, to name just a few. But Bijan is that guy, Mitch. Number five on the consensus board and RB1 for ESPN, RB1 for PFF, and number 24 on their board. And they even admitted in their rankings, Mitch, this is about as high as you'll see us ever rank a running back. PFF is always known for being down on running back value in the draft. Uh, but even they are high on a guy like Bijan Robinson, who had 79 broken tackles last season in only 10 games. He is everything you'd want in a running back. Uh, tough, physical, got speed, got the burst. Uh, he's going to be legit. I am very curious to see, Mitch. I think there's a very high likelihood that he goes in the top 20. And that would be pretty surprising given the history of running backs in the NFL draft in the last couple of years. A Saquon Barkley type is that's, what I yeah 100 I, I love that yeah um, a guy that's gonna grind out yards for you but can catch the ball out of the backfield. In fact, his worst rushing game was against Alabama. Was against Alabama. Um, right. uh, was it 21 for 57? He had the tud, but only 2.7 to carry. Yet he still contributed with three for 73 through the yard through the air. So um, a Good body guy, great build to him, great body. Um, absolutely is a grinder, and I think that um, this is a guy that when he gets the NFL level, um, maybe not out of the gate, but that second, third, fourth, you know, that second, third year moving forward, he could become a bell cow for someone um, to lean on for three downs, uh, during, you know, for three downs of drive. So. Uh, I, I love B. John Robinson. I think he's absolutely fantastic. And uh, I hated when he played Alabama because even <laughs> when we stopped him, he still found a way to beat us. So um, uh, love this guy. Absolutely yeah, love B this guy. Bijan is legit. And you mentioned it there, Mitch. Uh, very, very uh, rarely nowadays do we see true three down prospects coming out of college. Right. And mm -hmm. most NFL teams are even committed to running back by committee and role players, right? You have your pass catcher, you have your bruiser running between the tackles guy, you have your pass pro who you could throw in at third down, who can stay in and block and add in the pass protection. Like 
you have your roles for guys. Uh, so very rarely have we seen prospects, even good ones at running back, who are true three down, put them out there, they could do everything type of guys. But Bijan Robinson, at least at this point, looks like he is that guy. So if there is a prospect like that in the draft, how much more valuable is he? Are teams willing to take a shot on a guy like that in the top 15 or top 10? I mean, Saquon was a top 10 pick not that long ago. Christian McCaffrey, Leonard Fournette. I mean, we've seen some running backs in the top 10. Now, again, these are four, five, six years in the past. We look in recent history. It has not been the same. You know, late first round is about as best as you'll do. But, man, with a prospect like him, I wonder if he has the capability of even breaking into that top 15 range. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. All right. That's going to do it for the campus tour. And that's going to do it for the first half of the podcast. We're going to take a break and hit a mid-roll on the other side. We'll get to the top five. Mitch Moe bringing another fire top five this week. And then our NFL week two recap and our quick picks for the NFL week three. So stick around and we'll be right back. Thanks for checking out the sports hour today. We appreciate you wherever you're listening, but if you haven't already, we recommend you check us out and give us a listen on anchor. Anchor allows us to provide the best product to you. You can go support the sports hour and become a permanent part of the show. Like my saint of a mother, Sammy and my father, David did. You can even leave us voice messages with your thoughts and opinions that we can use on the show. Prove to us that you know better than me and Mitchmo. Moral of the story, people, be more like Sammy and David. Go find us at anchor.fm slash the sports hour, guys, and become a part of the conversation. What the hell are you waiting for? Welcome back in to the sports hour with Mitchmo and Dallin. Hope you enjoyed that little break. Had some great college football content down. Big week of college football coming up. Glad we got to cover all that. Let's get in to a little NFL here on the second half. But before we do, Don, last week we talked about how nice it is around this time of year to sit in on maybe a cold, maybe drizzly day and turn on a good football movie. And we talked about the top five greatest football movies of all time. But there's a lot of great sports movies out there, and I think they need consideration. But not every sports movie has been made that we want to see yet. So that's why on this week's edition of Mitch Moe's Top 5 List of the Week, we're going to be the top five sports movies that need to be made next with a twist. I have also cast, I have also casted the main characters in that movie. Wow. Mitch, uh, when you told me this idea, I was like, this is going to be one of the best lists we've ever seen on the show. I cannot wait to hear what you've come up with. Uh, the the five sports movies we need. Uh, you're just going to get my hopes up for all the things that I <laughs> might not ever get to see. <laughs> I, I Well, you know, there, there are a lot of them out there. And I, I actually I did a little deep diving over the last couple of uh, nights to kind of get this list prepped and ready to go. And I, I feel pretty good about the list. I feel pretty good about the list. I hope you feel good about it, too. But let's get into some honorable mentions first. Um, LeVon and Orlando Hernandez, the brothers that came over from Cuba and became professional baseball players. El Duque mm. is what you know, know Orlando Hernandez as. Um, thought that would be a great one. Kobe Bryant, um, I think, eventually will have a movie made about him. Just quite, Just doesn't quite make the top five. Dale Earnhardt. 
has had a movie made about him already. A lot of inaccuracies in that movie, though. The mm. movie is called Three. It's still a really good, entertaining watch. Barry Pepper plays uh, Dale Earnhardt, but um, I think that needs to be done right. And I'm not quite mm. sure who to cast for that. So he misses out. That's uh, the, one. the 1990s Bills, I think, would be a great mm. film. Uh, you have a ton Maybe of a dark comedy. <laughs> Maybe a dark comedy. Exactly. You'd have Marv Levy. You'd have Jim Kelly. You'd have Thurman Thomas, Daryl Talley. Yeah. Bruce Smith, you'd have all these cast of characters. Um, maybe a little bit too big to cast here on this top five list, so they're going to be honorable mention. And then Mark McGuire uh, was the other one uh, through the whole steroids uh, scandal deal, the trials. Yeah. I think everything would be a great movie. And I do actually do have someone cast to play that, and it's uh, Chris Pratt. I think would play a good yes. Mark uh, that that was literally the first name that came to mind when you when you said a Mark McGuire movie. I was like, oh, Chris Pratt would do that. Great. I yeah. love I love it. We're on the same page. Spoiler alert: Not the last time you'll hear Chris Pratt's name in this segment. So okay. anyway, let's get into the list. Number five on the list. I have Magic Johnson. Um, I think that this would be a great film. Obviously, we know about his battle with uh, HIV. Um, his storied basketball career, his rivalry with Larry Bird. I think that there is tons of potential for a fantastic film here. And I have actually Terry Crews casted to play oh. Mark McGuire or sorry, Magic Johnson. Um, I think there are probably better options out there, but I think that Terry Crews uh, could step in to a comedy slash drama role and okay. really fill that need. Well, they can actually make him look a little bit more like Magic Johnson, but there's one key element that mm. is going to put this together. It's the smile. Both of them have great smiles. Yes. Magic Johnson's smile is legendary. Terry Crews has a great smile. I think that yeah. we can get Terry Crews to play a great Magic Johnson. Magic five, or Magic is number five on the list. Yeah, Magic is a great story. Uh, certainly would make a great film. And, you know, I'm, I'm warming up on the Terry Crews. I was a little hesitant at first, but you're, you know, you're selling it's me a, on it. It's a... It's a bit that's of a, a tough, stretch, and like I that's said, that's a tough role to cast, though. So you could probably cast a better person there. Maybe a maybe a someone's breakout role as Magic right. Johnson going. Right. There. So, yeah. um, Magic number five on the list. Number four, I'm going John Daly. Um, oh. again, I think a dark comedy with some drama, with some comedy in there because you know we know about his struggles in the past, but also he's a golfer. He's a funny dude. He's a character. Mm-hmm. And I think Kevin James would actually play John Daly really, really well. Okay. Huh. So I'm going. I'm going with the King of Queens to play John Daly at number four on the list. Like it. What range he can play? Sean Payton and he can play John Daly. Uh, well, Incredible he should range. For, he should never Paul Blart the Mall Cop. He should never play Sean Payton, <laughs> but you know, um, I think he would actually fit John Daly really well. And fun fact in real life, John Daly, Kevin James, friends. So there you go. go. It would be kind of a flattery, a flattering move for him. Yeah. Um, Number three on the list. And this one definitely goes towards a darker turn, a more serious turn. But it's Josh Hamilton. Oh, yeah. Um, And this is where I have Chris Pratt playing Josh Hamilton. Um, Yeah, that's a good casting. Look, I think this is a movie that's going to be need to be made maybe five, seven, ten years down the road because there's a lot of legal things still going on with josh hamilton it's gonna be a more serious film obviously the rise right back to baseball prominence um but the fall again of of uh, addiction abuse um legal troubles 
um, family issues. It, it, it's going to be a very serious film, but there's going to be a feel good aspect of it um, just to kind of tear you down at the end. But hopefully five, seven, 10 years down the road, when this movie is made, there is a feel good aspect at the end of it as well. And I think sure. Chris Pratt would fill the Josh Hamilton role perfectly. Yeah, that's a fantastic casting there. And again, a, a tragic story, but probably an important one uh, in the context of, you know, what that can do for somebody and, and, and a story that should be told. And I mean, I could see that being an Oscar bait move, you know, with with all the, you know, the award fluff that we see from some sports movies that have that drama element, uh, you know, that could be that could be right up that alley. So I love that. I think I'm finding my true calling, Dallin. I need to be a director for sports movies. Um, <laughs> I love it. So, yeah, Josh Hamilton, number three on the list. Number two is a guy we both named off the air when we talked about th- making this list. And it's Mike Vick. I think yes, Mike Vick yes. needs a movie made about him. Uh, we it's an incredible story. It's a great story, how he got to Virginia Tech, how he got to the NFL, the fall, the rise up back again, the activism that he promotes now for for animals. And I think the perfect person to play him. And honestly, of the list that I had of potential movies, this guy was on about four or five of them. And it's Anthony Mackie. Anthony Mackie needs to play Mike Vick in a biop. Mitch, holy cow. You hit that. You nailed that one, buddy. That is it. That is it. Yeah. It's perfect, let's, right? Let's I mean, do it. Let's can we can we can we put this shit together? <laughs> like, no, to actually, <laughs> I I was making this list and I'm gonna be completely honest. Another name that I had on my list before I narrowed it down was Shaq, and I realized that I casted a dead guy to play Shaq. I casted Michael Clark Duncan uh, to oh, play Shaq. Right, right. And yeah. I was like, oh well, obviously he yeah. can't play Shaq. But I did want to do an honorable mention for the Mike Vick thing, and it was if he was still alive, Chadwick Boseman would have made a great Mike Vick. Yeah, um, but I think An- Anthony Mackie with his intensity is much more yeah. fitting to play Mike Vick. Yeah. I love that. I love that, Mitch. Well done. Now get, what's number one. Shoot. That was two. So number one on the list. And this is, I mean, if this doesn't come out in the next two years, I'm going to be floored. Like I'm just <laughs> going to be, absolutely livid if we don't get a movie about this it's joe paterno oh and i want the entire story i want this to be a three and a half hour long film i want the entire story from beginning to end and there's only one guy that can play joe paterno and that's al pacino Mm. al pacino as joe paterno there is an honorable mention of honorable mention of of, uh, robert de niro but I think that Al Pacino needs to play Joe Paterno in a biopic. Obviously, there will be other actors, right? Younger Al, you know, younger sure. Joe Paterno. Yeah. But this movie needs to be made. We need to know the whole story. And I, I, I honestly, right now, I'm calling it right now. An Al, uh, Joe Paterno movie will come out in the next five years, and I'm going to be stoked when Al Pacino is playing Joe Paterno. That's what <laughs> okay. I'm calling right now. Wow. Yeah, that would be intense. And that is a great casting as well. Uh, for what would be probably a pretty tough role, but uh, certainly an interesting story to be told. Uh, wow, great. Okay, great list, Mitch. Uh, roll through the five i the five uh items on the list again for us. So number five on the list, I have Terry Crews as Magic Johnson. Uh, number four, I have Kevin James as John Daly. Number three, I have Chris Pratt as Josh Hamilton. Uh, number two, I have Anthony Mackie as Michael Vick, and number one, I have Joe or Al Pacino as Joe Paterno. Yeah, 
Wow, great stuff. The five sports movies they need to make next, and those are some great ideas. I I love that, Mitch. That's fantastic stuff there. Uh, if you guys have any movie ideas uh, of your own that you thought of during this segment, uh, films that you'd love to see made, let us know. Hit us up on social media. Leave us a message on Anchor. Uh, let us know what you would add to Mitch's top five list on the next sports movies that need to be made, because there are certainly a lot of interesting stories and a lot of interesting characters. Uh, that could be put uh, onto the big screen. So Absolutely. well done, my friend. Thank you. Thank you very much. Well done. Uh, let's let's jump into the NFL week two recap, Mitch. We're going to do this uh, a little different this week. We've got five categories. Uh, we're going to we're going to give answers to as we kind of look back at this week of games uh, as a means to sort of highlight the biggest stories and moments from this week. Uh, let's start this off with the most impressive team from week two, Mitch, I'll let you go first here. Who was the most impressive team to you this week? I mean, I was impressed by him in week one. I just got impressed even more in week two. This is the Buffalo bills. And I text, I messaged on our fantasy chat board, our fantasy league chat board. That if there is a team that can go 17-0, and I mentioned this on the pod a couple weeks ago, there is a team that can go 17-0, it's the Buffalo Bills, because my God, are they a juggernaut. Defensively, offensively, on the sideline, up in the booth, special teams, everything about this team is great. And Josh Allen, I'll say it right now. Josh Allen will be considered the best quarterback in the NFL by season's end. It will not be Patrick Mahomes. It will not be Aaron Rodgers. It will not be Tom Brady. It will be Josh Allen. This team, it it, it is so well built. And I know that we point to the issues on the run game. James Cook actually played fairly well. Zach Moss was limited in his carries. Was efficient. Zach, or Devin Singletary could grind out the short yardage. Of course, we know what Stefan Diggs and what a healthy Gabe Davis can do, but they had contributors from all angles. This team is just so well-built and so well-coached that it's hard for me to see them anything less than a two-win, or the, than a two-loss team. It's really hard for me to picture them that because, I mean, oh my God, this team is a juggernaut. Yeah, they've certainly gotten off to a fantastic start uh, this season, 2-0, and uh, in a combined 72-17. and <laughs> That's the points uh, in their first two games. Against the Rams, who were the Super Bowl champion last year, and the Tennessee Titans, who were the number one seed in the AFC. Uh, so obviously impressive for Buffalo. Uh, and it's just going to continue the, the tough stretch here. They're, they play Miami on the road this week. They're Baltimore on the road. Pittsburgh, but then on the road at Kansas City, Green Bay Packers after that. I mean, it is a juggernaut of the schedule, but you are right, Mitch. This team has just been so impressive that, you know, between the offense and the defense and the dominance on all sides of the ball, you just wonder who is going to be able to stop them, especially when they're playing at home in Buffalo. And I think when it comes to the AFC and it comes to the playoff race, the most important thing for the Bills this year is obtaining the number one seed in that home field advantage and the guaranteed buy and getting all those home games in Buffalo in January. Because if you get that with that home crowd that was incredible on Monday night, 
that is going to be the biggest advantage anybody has in the league. I think I mentioned this to you on Monday. Buffalo might be the toughest play to play place to play in the NFL this year. It's, I mean, that crowd was buzzing. Like that that yeah. fan base was buzzing. It's incredible. Yeah, it was uh, certainly impressive for Buffalo. And, and again, uh, going to be a tough stretch here. And, and it's funny, Mitch, uh, because the team that impressed me most this week is the team that's going to take on the Buffalo Bills uh, this weekend. And that is the Miami Dolphins, who uh, had an impressive win over the Baltimore Ravens. I mean, they were down. They were down big 35 to 14 entering the fourth quarter, and they won this game 42 to 38. Thanks in part to four touchdowns in the fourth quarter for the Dolphins. Uh, Tua had six touchdown passes, 469 yards. Jalen Waddell and Tyreek Hill. I mean, the the performances these guys put up together were just uh, incredible. 11 receptions, 190 yards, and two touchdowns for Tyreek Hill. 11 receptions, 171 yards, and two touchdowns for Jalen Waddell. And listen, the defense, I mean, 38 points. This is a really good Baltimore Ravens team. The fact that they came back against this Baltimore team is impressive. They beat the Patriots 20-7 to in week one. Again, a very tough test with Buffalo, though it is in Miami this week. But, man, I thought if anybody really impressed this week, it was Miami. Uh, just shocking to see them put up those points in the fourth quarter and just absolutely obliterating uh, the Ravens' defense uh, and getting a W, getting up to 2-0 and in the season. You know, I think that I just need to eat crow again once more. Um, I was wrong about Tua. I don't know how many more times I have to say it throughout the rest of the year. Probably the rest of the year, I have to say yeah. it. Um, Some credit to you, though, because you got on this after week one. You didn't say this after the six touchdown Tua performance. You said this after week one, and you were, you corrected yourself on the record. So good on you, Mitch, because you did it right, and then he goes and throws six touchdowns the week well, after. Well, so. and I, I appreciate that credit, but I, ha- I have to – I have to just continue to eat the crow and just um, really just, man, to is special. I think he's special. I think, I think that he's going to be the guy that breaks the stigma for me as far as left-handed quarterbacks go. But I, (laughs) I want to, when we get into our next segment, the most disappointing team, I want to stay in the same game because the Ravens were the most disappointing team for me. Oh, okay. Um, you cannot blow a lead like that and be a great team. You just can't. Yep. And like, I think the Ravens are talented. I think they'll, they're, I think they're on that, you know, wild card cusp. Uh, I'm going to stick by my Bengals pick. Uh, I, I had the Ravens in the, in the playoffs. I'm going to stick by the Ravens being on that wild card cusp. Um, but you cannot be a great team and blow a lead like that. And, uh, it's not like last year where we can point to all the injuries and, and the setbacks that you've had as a team, as far as health goes, you're healthy and you're giving up a 35 to 14 lead. You, you, you can't do that and be great at the same time. So the Ravens, though, I'm not down on them. I'm not doubting them. At, you know, I'm not doubting them in any way. They were extremely disappointing this week. Yeah, for sure. Obviously, uh, not what you'd expect from a very well-coached Baltimore Ravens team to uh, drop that sort of lead. Uh, I do think their defense needs to get a bit of uh, get cut a bit of slack here. Uh, defensive coordinator 
for a long time there. Wink Martindale, no longer there. A new DC and a lot of new pieces on the defense. Marcus Williams, Kyle Hamilton, just to name a few. Well, uh, so I do think that the talent is certainly there. And by the end of the season, they'll have figured some things out. But this may not be this may be more of what we see in the beginning part of this season is this defense maybe struggle late in games and try to figure out uh, how it works. And that is different than what we're used to with this Baltimore team. Again, under Wink Martindale, who's there for such a long time. And I mean, they were just dominant on defense week in and week out. Uh, I think I do think it'll be a bit of an adjustment to start this season. That's fine. That's all fine and dandy. But four touchdowns in one quarter is inexcusable. No when doubt. you have a lead. Inexcusable. No doubt. No doubt. Mitch, my most disappointing team this week, and this may be even almost a bit of a carryover for the, from the first week, but it's Indianapolis Colts. Oh, God. I mean, yeah. they tied the Texans in week one, 20 to 20, and then last week put up a goose egg against Jacksonville. And give all credit to Jacksonville, who, I mean, they looked good. Lawrence looked good. That defense, obviously, pitching a shutout against the Colts is impressive, but. I mean, Indianapolis should have been the runaway favorite in the AFC South heading into the season. They start off 0-1-1. Matt, Matt Ryan has looked bad. He was sacked five times. He threw three picks against the Jags. They ran the ball nine times with Jonathan Taylor. I don't care how the game is going for you, Mitch. I don't care how bad the game is going. Jonathan Taylor's not getting nine carries. Uh, don't don't 18 lose minimum. giving 18 your minimum. best carry. Don't lose giving your best player nine carries. If you're going to lose, give him 20 carries and then say, well, at least we gave it to our best guy, right? Like, don't lose and not even give your best guy a shot. Like, what the hell is that, Indianapolis? Man, I mean, they've been by far to me the most disappointing team to start the season. This last week's performance, extremely disappointing. And again, in the AFC South where, I mean, it should be wide open for Indianapolis to take Tennessee's 0-2. Houston's obviously not that good. Jacksonville's the leader through two weeks, a one and one. But I mean, this should be their their uh, their division to be had, but not the start you'd want to see for Indianapolis. I I wouldn't hit the panic button yet, but I'm getting close. Like if you drop to zero and three and you look bad again, now I'm starting to okay, what's going on here? But man, they got to come out of week three and look really good uh, to to sort of write this this really rough start. I'm glad you brought the Colts up because they were my second team that I was going to pick on this. (laughs) So, um, Matt, I mean, we talk about the cliff with Tom Brady all the time and how uh, this is the year. This is the year he hits the cliff. I think Matt Ryan hit it. I think Matt Ryan hit it. Wow, really? And, you know, it's not – I just don't think he has that anymore. And you could look at the workload that he's been put that he had put on him in in Atlanta. I mean, the guy just threw the shit out of the ball for what was that? You know, 15 years in Atlanta, 14 years in Atlanta, whatever he played. I mean, the, the guy is just I I think he's hit the cliff. In retrospect, though, I think we're I think I'm going to be right here on my overreactions. Over or overreactions, not overreactions that we had last week. Jacksonville or the AFC South will not have a 10 win team in this division. And Jacksonville, I think should be considered a serious contender for this. We're looking right now. We're looking right now at a Trevor Lawrence without urban Meyer. And he's played well two weeks in a row for sure. And, and I think that this, that, that has insane implications on the Jacksonville Jaguars. The fact that urban Meyer is not there. 
Uh, Trevor Lord, Trevor Lawrence has kind of has kind of been unlocked now. You found uh, James James Robinson being a guy that you could go to in short yardage situations again, a guy that you can lean on. And Jacksonville looks like a contender in that division now. Yeah, I mean, there's just not a lot of confidence to be had in any teams from this division other than Jacksonville, who obviously looked impressive in this win. Everybody else has just been a flat out disappointment. Or I guess if you're the Texans, uh, you didn't start 0-2, you started 0-1-1. So they're actually doing pretty good themselves down there uh, in Houston. But yeah, certainly uh, a rough start for the Colts. Uh, Speaking of overreactions, though, Mitch, that's our next category here, an overreaction from this week of games. And I will go first. My overreaction this week is Zach Taylor, the head coach of the Cincinnati Bengals, should be on the hot seat. Mm. I know that he went to a Super Bowl and he was on the hot seat last year and he got saved by a second half run by the Bengals and that playoff run that led into the Super Bowl. He got saved by that defense and by Joe Burrow just flat out. Say his job got saved by those guys. But now we enter the 2022 season. And now there are expectations. Oh, and we improved the offensive line. Okay. Marginally, we agreed, right? Better. It was better, but it wasn't great, but it was better. It was much better, I thought. But the same flaws exist with this team, Mitch. I mean, they started 0-2 this season. But this offense has been uh, been just flat out bad. I mean, they've scored 20, 20 points against the Steelers in week one, 17 last week in the loss to the Cowboys. They lost to Cooper rush and the Cowboys. How do you lose this game? It's play calling Mitch. It's, it's play calling. It's not unlocking Joe Burrow enough. You saw that viral clip this weekend. Uh, they call a timeout and they're going for it. And Joe Burrow's yelling back at the sideline to his head coach, no empty set. Stop putting me in empty sets where the Cowboys' Micah Parsons can tee off on me every freaking play. Can we put a running back back there to help pass pro? I mean, he has to tell his head coach, can you lay off of me and help me out here? And that is a bad sign for a team who's the defending AFC champs. They were in the Super Bowl. They had a shot to win the Super Bowl. I think Zach Taylor got saved last year by Joe Burrow and a better second-half defense for the Bengals. And I think he has shown us in his tenure in Cincinnati that maybe he's a good head coach. Maybe he's a good manager of people. He has not been a good offensive coach. Their offensive play calling has struggled. Their commitment to the run game at absurd times. Uh, Just the handcuffing of Joe Burrow at times in this offense with so much talent around him. This should be going so much better for them. And I think the blame falls on Zach Taylor. And I think after these two weeks, he should be on the hot seat. More should be expected from a guy who just went to a Super Bowl. Let me ask you, is Zach Taylor the play caller offensively? And- I believe so. Yeah, I mean, and he was the offensive mind, obviously coming from the Rams system with Sean McVay. That was the idea of that hire, uh, what, after that Super Bowl season a few years ago with the Rams in 2019. Uh, so I do believe that Zach Taylor is the play caller there in Cincinnati. I'm going to say it's a bit of an overreaction. And here's why. Look, they did improve the offensive line. The offensive line is much better than what it was last year. I know that technically through two weeks, Joe Burrow is on pace to be sacked over 100 times this year. But, but it's two weeks. And I think that if we were in a different situation where all this talent wasn't surrounding Zach Taylor, we'd be, we'd be, tooting the same we'd be tooting the same horn 
I think we would be tooting the same horn if Zach Taylor didn't have all this talent. If he, but he does have all this talent, and I think that we're just overreacting a little bit to a rough start. 0-2. There's plenty of 0-2 teams that start 0-2 that make the playoffs. I would love to know that statistic, by the way. Um, how many teams that start off 0-2 that actually make the playoffs? Um, I think Zach Taylor's just fine. I think if he's going to be on a hot seat and they start, you know, one and four next year, then yeah, absolutely. He's on the hot seat, but I think that there are some things in house that need to be changed with Cincinnati and it's a little too early for me to be putting them on the hot seat. Yeah. I mean, I feel it. Listen, I mean, to give them some credit, uh, for the offensive line, those first two weeks, they had to go against TJ Watt and Micah Parsons. So certainly not the easiest way to start your season. It will get easier week to week there. But at the same time, you played the Steelers and Cooper Rush and the Cowboys, and you'd expect to win both of those games. Uh, and your schedule is not going to get any easier than that. It's only going to get tougher from here. So tough to drop two games you probably should to start uh, again, man, just Harry times in Cincinnati. We'll see how they respond this week. Mitch, what was your overreaction? Uh, my overreaction is Trey Lance is a bust. Wow. Trey Lance is a bust. I know that it's it's very unfortunate what went down with him with the ankle injury. Um, what, what we saw in week one wasn't impressive. What we saw in the two or three games that he played in last year was not impressive. And now he's going to get hurt. He's going to be out for an entire year. He's going to have to come back. Jimmy Garoppolo is San Francisco's guy. It, he he is the perfect San Francisco guy for what Kyle Shanahan wants to do in that offense. And I think Trey Lance just doesn't fit that. And, you know, he may go somewhere else and be the guy somewhere else. I don't I don't I don't know what the quarterback situation looks like after this year with Trey Lance coming off an injury and Jimmy Garoppolo in a one year contract. That's a really that's a really tough quarterback situation to be in if you're San Francisco. Um, but I haven't seen anything from Trey Lance that really makes me believe that he was worth a top five pick. And I mean, speedy recovery. I hope that he gets well soon, but to me, this just smells bust. Yeah. I'm going to say overreaction on this, Mitch. And I understand where you're coming from. Obviously he hasn't been impressive in the time that he's played, but we're just 19 games into Trey Lance's career, 19 actual NFL games. He's only played in eight and he's only com uh, attempted 102 passes so far in his NFL career. So I think that's just the hardest part about Trey Lance. And the most frustrating thing about this injury is that this was the year to see what you had in Trey Lance. Right. He sat last year behind Jimmy G. This you, you built all of this up to roll him out in 2022 and see what you got. And now all of that's gone. You're not getting any of that. But here, but all you got was a game and a half. One of those was a monsoon and the other one was half a game that didn't look good. And so I just it's it's so hard with Trey Lance because he just hasn't had the opportunity to to prove it. He just hasn't. But like but how long of a leash did you did we really think Trey Lance was going to have? Because like San Francisco has a team outside of Trey Lance that can go out and win right now. So, like, how long of a leash were we going to give Trey Lance anyway? More were than we... a game and a half. Well, Definitely sure, more than but, a game and a half. But were we going to give him three games? Were we going to give him seven games? Oh, eight yeah. Games? At least half the season. There's if no you doubt think you in can, my mind. If you think you can win games now, why would you Why would you go out and just compromise a season 
when you think you can go out and win now and be in contender. That just doesn't make because that's why you drafted him number three overall in the first place. And that's what I'm saying is a bust. Like maybe he wasn't worth that third overall pick. Like, I mean, you got to play young picks to see if they're good. That's the catch 22 with playing sure a young you pick. And the, sure and the problem do, for the Niners to. is that they made a move up while they were a playoff team. So now you have the conundrum. The Jets and the Jags, they're all in a fine position. The Bears, they're in a fine position. Yeah, we're going to play our young quarterback because we suck. So we have nothing better to do. But the Niners have a dilemma of, like you said, well, we actually have a good roster. So do we right, let this guy figure out? Right, and that's why I'm saying maybe he's a bust. It's, it's because yeah, but it's I don't think you can say in a bust pick. because he hasn't given you you haven't given him the opportunity to prove he isn't right. You haven't played him at all. How do you know he's a bust? You won't play sure, him because you I'm don't talking, know what he is. Maybe you know? I'm talking in hype. Uh, sure. And may, and I'm probably talking in hypotheticals here. Sure. <clears throat> but like, if you think you can win now, why would you spend the third overall pick on a quarterback that you know you're gonna have to play? Because they knew that he was going to be better. They knew the ceiling with Jimmy Garoppolo, Mitch. They saw the ceiling with But he's clearly not better than Jimmy Garoppolo because they, they win more. with Garoppolo they and they don't win with Lance. Yet. You don't know. We don't know that. We don't. Those know eight games last year, they didn't win with Jay Lance. Mitch, Come he's on. two and two as a starter. He started four games. He's thrown 102 passes. We don't know if he's better than Jimmy G. That's he is, the hasn't problem. Been, he hasn't been impressive. That's the problem. So I would say overreaction until we see more from Trey Lance. Okay. But man, this just puts him in a tough spot because out the whole year. I mean, even regardless of how successful Jimmy G is or how successful this team is, I mean, the decision next year, you know, that's just going to be we're going to have a different San Francisco. We're going to have a different conversation about this at the end of the year when Jimmy G leads them to 11 to 11. It wins. It's not going to change and, anything about Trey Lance, Mitch. That doesn't change anything about Trey Lance. So so it you doesn't. think that if they extend Jimmy for another year, it's still Trey Lance's team. What do you mean? If they extend Jimmy, I mean, if so, Trey Lance so Jimmy's is on a starter, one year contract, the starter. But I, I mean, I, I don't I don't think I don't think Trey Lance is going to work out for them. And I think when he comes back healthy, they're going to they're going to really have some some reservations about taking Trey Lance that early. Yeah, it's certainly going to be uh, an interesting situation to see what they do uh, in this offseason with Jimmy G uh, and Trey Lance. Uh, Mitch, our MVP for the week, who was the MVP for the week for you this uh, in week two of the NFL? You ain't going to see this coming. You ain't going to see this coming. I told you that in the mid-roll. You're not going to see this coming. It's Joe Flacco. Joe Flacco's the MVP of the week. Okay. Um, look, 307, four touchdowns. The old man Flacco gets it done. Huge comeback against the Browns. They're up 30 to 17 with like, what, a minute 30 left? I, it was It was an incredible comeback that he led for the Jets against the Cleveland Browns. Um, Joe is proving it that, you know, he may not be technically starting caliber in the league anymore, but he is one of the better backup quarterbacks and one of the better mentors, I think, in this league. And I think that I think we talked about this on a previous episode that it's going to be good for Zach Wilson to play with Joe Flacco behind him. That he's going to learn a ton. And so when Zach Wilson gets back, he's going to have a ton of wisdom to lean on. And Joe Flacco, by the way, right now has the most pass attempts in the NFL like by like 15 over the next guy. by 14 over Joe Burry is 103 yeah. guys been throwing the shit out of the ball. And at his age with his wisdom, uh, the jets may stay afloat without Zach Wilson for his, for however long that may be. 
Yeah, I know. I know the Jets are planning Wilson out at least three weeks. I guess the earliest would be potentially week four against the Steelers, more likely maybe week five against the Dolphins. But yeah, I mean, getting that win is huge. And I think all of this, I know some people have talked, is this bad for Zach Wilson? Is Joe Flacco doing good, bad for Zach Wilson? I don't think, though. I think this is good for Zach Wilson, Mitch, because Joe Flacco (laughs) is showing him how to operate the offense how to get the ball to the playmakers, how to move the ball efficiently. And that's all Flacco's done so far this season. That's what Zach needs to get better at. What Zach can do that that Joe Flacco can't is the plays on the run, is the arm angles, is the rocket arm. That's what Zach Wilson can add. But if he could just learn to be more like Flacco in the distribution of the ball to those playmakers, it would do him well. So hopefully this early success this season is going to rub off on that sophomore quarterback there. Uh, but I like it. Shout out to the old the old vet out there holding it down. Delaware grad, Division two football. You'll love to see it. Joe Flacco, baby. Love to see uh, it. I, I'm sticking with quarterbacks too, Mitch. My MVP this week is not one quarterback. It's all the quarterbacks that are left-handed. Left-handed quarterbacks are the MVP this week, baby, because Tua righted the wrongs. I, I just, everybody on Twitter on Sunday after that Tua performance was like, Man, were we wrong about lefties? I don't know. Did you see the foot? You saw the flipped that somebody inverted uh, the the video of two of highlights from the I saw, game. I saw it. I saw it. I saw it. Look like a right-handed quarterback. I saw it. it was amazing because everyone was like, "Wow, he looks incredible." Why does it look so weird when he's left-handed? And it, I just saw a bunch of people rethinking the way that they had considered left-handed quarterbacks in the past. Uh, I feel like in a single week, Tua has like changed the narrative on all left-handed quarterbacks for the better. Shout out Tua doing the Lord's work out here. Left-handed quarterbacks, the MVP this week. I wouldn't say all left-handed quarterbacks. I still like Steve Young. I still like Mark Brunel. Yeah, Brunel. I liked Mike. I liked Mike Vick. Mike Vick, yeah. And those but, some good know, ones. They didn't change the narrative on all left-handed quarterbacks. Let's not get Tua too was excited. Good. But Tua this was great. Yeah, this was my way to make Tua MVP and also kind of not and kind of do more. But, you know, he was great. I will kind of eat. I'll continue to eat crow on this because I was I was I was a left handed quarterback hater for a long time. You were a two hater. Well, I was. Yeah, let's. Yeah, let's get specific. I was a two. Yeah, Yeah. that's okay. That's all right. Um, Not my Bama quarterback. (laughs) Sometimes we take an L. That's how it goes. Uh, And that is the final category here in this recap is the big L who took the biggest L this week in the NFL and Mitch uh, I'll go first here with my big L and my big L goes to my team's head coach and that's Matt rule and I'm giving him the big L this week Mitch because I think this marked the beginning of the end for Matt rule this season I don't think there's any coming back at this point for Matt rule I think uh, I think his tenure will be ending here soon in Carolina uh, second straight leak that they lose on a field goal, this time to the New York Giants, a sloppy game. He just seems like he's been in over his head this whole time. They've won. They're one in 20. They're one in 25, Mitch, when allowing more than 17 points in a game under Matt Rule. Mm. When they've given up more than 17 points, they've lost all but one game under Matt Rule. I mean, that is like. That's good. Like 17 points is not a high number. Like that is crazy. You should be winning many more games than this. It, this L I think is the final nail in the coffin. He's not fired this week. 
but I just think this makes it imminent. So Big L goes to Matt Rule. Yeah, I mean, it's just more fire under the seat for Matt Rule, um, his tenure at Carolina. My Big L, Dallin. Um, I just want to get some clarification. Didn't you last week say that Cleveland might be a top five defense in the NFL? I didn't. Yeah. So um, you're getting lumped in with the Browns for the Big L. (laughs) Wow. Whoa. I didn't know we could throw each other in for the Big L. Well, what are you going to throw me in for? Uh, I don't know. Maybe I kicked your ass in fantasy football. Maybe I get to go. Oh, you shut the hell up right now. You know that's a sensitive topic. Um, yeah, Dallin. Okay, just for that, you are getting lumped in with the Cleveland Browns. Um, you don't blow a 30 to 17 lead with a minute 30 left. Now, there is a lot of speculation about whether Nick Chubb should have just gone down. Yeah. Not scored that touchdown. They run the clock out, whatever. Personally, for me, I loved it because uh, he's on uh, multiple fantasy teams of mine and I got the points. <laughs> but, yes. In retrospect, had he gone down or not, you still have to play defense and you still have to recover the onside kick. There's no excuse whether he went down or not for blowing a 30 to 17 lead. There's no excuse. How, no matter how wonderful that onside kick was, no matter how you know, porous your defense was, the Cleveland Browns need to hold that lead. And they didn't do it. With a minute 30 left in the game. So, I mean, the Cleveland Browns take a big L this week. They had this game in the bag, and they blew it late to Joe Flacco by playing shitty defense, soft defense. And Joe Flacco did the veteran thing and took advantage of everything that was given to him. So, um, big dubs to my MVP, Joe Flacco, and big L to the Cleveland Browns and you for saying that the Cleveland Browns are the top five defense. Well, that's all right. There's a lot of season left and Hey, this will just be a blip on the, on the resume for the Cleveland Browns this year. They just got bested by Joe Flacco. He's familiar with Cleveland. He spent a lot of time in the AFC North, you know, we'll chalk that up to, to, you know, he's got their number. He's got them figured out. They'll be all right, but you know, not a great look. Certainly not a great look. (laughs) All righty, Mitch. Well, that's going to do it for the week to recap great stuff there let's wrap up the podcast here with our quick picks for week three in the nfl last week we both went eight and eight not a great start on the season for for your boys out here uh you have the season lead by a game 16 15 and one i am 15 16 and one these are not pretty records mitch we gotta we gotta get it going this week yeah, definitely not where they should be or where they have been. So I, I think that, uh, I mean, this is the week that we go like 15 and two or 15 and one, 14 yeah. and two. I see Why it. not? Let's, let's go. 13 wins. And let's start it here on Thursday night. Mitch in Cleveland, the Brownies hosting division rival AFC North Pittsburgh Steelers, Mitchell Trubisky. Jacoby Brissett on Amazon Thursday night. Who's tuning in? Probably not a lot. Uh, I'm picking the Browns in this one, though. Top five defense. I still trust that this team can get it done. I know they blow the lead against New York, but they're going to get it done uh, on Thursday night. Yeah, quite the quarterback matchup. Mitchell Trubisky and Jacoby Brissett. God, that's a that's a prime time matchup right there. I have Amazon Prime, so I will be tuning into that game. But give me the Cleveland Browns in this one as well. At home, get a dub for Brown of the Elf. 
Uh, following that game, Buffalo, they're leaving upstate New York to head over to Miami to take on the Miami Dolphins. Miami's a good team. I think they have to lose some games along the way. Buffalo is an absolute juggernaut right now. Give me Buffalo, but I think in a closer game than people will imagine. Maybe a one-scored game, score and a half. Uh, give me Buffalo. Yeah, I mean, geez, after the way Miami looked last week, you certainly feel bad picking against them, but uh, it's even harder to pick against Buffalo the way that they've looked to start the season. So I'm rolling with the Bills as well on the road here, Mitch, to improve to 3-0 in what should be one of the best matchups. This might be matchup of the week here on Sunday morning. Buffalo in Miami, that's going to be a great one. We can brand it as game of the week. I mean, I, that's pretty much game of the week for me. So I, 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 I'm, th- I'm, let's call it right now. Josh Allen, Tua Tungabailoa, game of the week, Buffalo in Miami. Mitch, following that game, J-E-T-S, Jets, 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 hosting Joe Burrow in the Bengals. Bengals need to get right here after falling 0-2, but Joe Flacco and the Jets looked good last week. Give me New York to get another win. Back-to-back wins over the AFC North. Jets improved to 2-1. Cincinnati cannot start off 0-3, and I have a lot of faith that they will not do that. So give me the Bengals in the Big Apple to get it done over the Jets. But I think it will be a competitive game. I think this will be a close game uh, for the Bengals, but they get it done. Uh, following that, Las Vegas, they are leaving Sin City to head over to Music City to take on the Tennessee Titans in Nashville. Um, I like the Raiders in this one. Another team that I think cannot start off 0-3. They had the tough loss last week um, <clears throat> against the Cardinals. Tennessee does not look very good at all right now. I like the Raiders over the Titans. Yeah, I'm going to take the Raiders in this one as well, Mitch. Titans looked really rough on Monday night. Uh, I mean, they just look like they're going in the wrong direction. And Vegas has started off 0-2. They could definitely use a win uh, this season. So, yeah, I have them getting win one on the road here over the Titans. Mitch, next, my Carolina Panthers hosting their NFC South foes, the New Orleans Saints. New Orleans got beat up by the Bucks last week. Jameis is playing injured. He looked bad in that game. And, man, I, I just – New Orleans has looked – it hasn't looked great to start this season for the Saints. I know they're one and one, but that that was a pretty disappointing loss last week. And I I think Carolina's got to get something going here. They've started 0-2, but positive mojo's got to come at some point. I don't know why I'm doing this, but give me my Panthers at home. I don't know why I'm doing this, Mitch. Well, I don't know why I'm doing this either, because I would love to say keep pounding, but I gotta take the Saints in this one. Even with broken back Jameis Winston. I mean the it, 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 it the bounce back seems evident right now. Carolina uh, doesn't seem to know what their identity is. And um, the, a very confused team, I think, internally for Carolina. Give me New Orleans on the road in Carolina. Uh, following that game, Baltimore. They're headed up to the home of some good clam chowder to take on the New England Patriots. Give me Baltimore in this game. I don't like New England at all. I like Baltimore a ton, and I think Lamar Jackson is putting together some really good stuff, and Baltimore just seems like the more well-put-together team more so than New England, so I like Baltimore on the road in New England. Yeah, the Patriots haven't been impressive through two weeks. One and one, looked really bad against Miami. Won an ugly game against Pittsburgh last week. Oh, and terrible. Matt Jones in that offense has looked really tough, and 
I mean, between Joe Judge and, and Matt Patricia play calling or play, uh, offensive scheming, whatever the hell they're doing in, the, in New England, it's not good. Uh, Baltimore bounces back here with the big win over the Patriots. Give me the Ravens in this one. Mitch, following that, a great NFC North matchup. The fighting Dan Campbells, the stars of Hard Knocks, traveling to Minneapolis to take on the Minnesota Vikings, who fell flat on Monday night against the Eagles. A matchup of one-and-one one foes in the in the division. Give me the Vikings, though, to bounce back from an ugly Monday night loss. I like this Detroit team a lot. I really want to pick them, and I do think this will be a tight game. But I believe in the Vikings. I believe that Monday night's game is more of an anomaly than it is the norm for this team this season. So I think they bounce back with the W. Yeah, one of the tougher picks I had all week because I love the Lightens and I love what they're doing. I love what Dan Campbell's doing. Um, Like I said, an NBA league pass team. You're going to love to watch the Lions. And I think you should tune into this game and watch it, but give me the Vikes um, over the over the Lions. And it's almost at the Tigers. We're not talking baseball. We're talking football here. Give me the Vikes over the Lions. Following that game down, we have the Eagles. They are leaving the city of brotherly love to head over to the nation's capital to take on the commies. The commies, the manders, whatever you want to call them. I refuse to call them by their actual name because it's so terrible. But give me the Eagles in this one. Jalen Hurts and the Eagles are for real. We saw them do it against the Vikings on Monday night. I think that they continue this trend and continue to be uh, one of the favorites in the NFC. My Super Bowl picks, I got to go with the Eagles. Yeah, fly Eagles, fly baby. If I wasn't picking Tua and left-handed quarterbacks as the MVP for this last week, it would have been Jalen Hurts for that performance on Monday night, which I felt like was a statement that he made to the league that I am legit. I am one of these top young quarterbacks. So you got to start putting me in these conversations. They proved a lot, I thought, in that win. And I think it continues this week against what I think has been a good Washington offense. Their defense, though, has been really bad. Uh, surprisingly bad for the talent they have on the front seven there in Washington. Uh, they're not going to be able to handle this Philly offense. Uh, they're going to be able to put up points. Eagles, big over the commanders. Mitch, Kansas City, the Chiefs looking to pile on to the rough start for the 0-2 Indianapolis Colts as they visit Lucas Oil uh, Stadium in Indianapolis. Give me the Chiefs in this one. Uh, wow, what a tough way to start off the season if the Colts fall 0-3 uh, and fall here to the Chiefs. But tough matchup for them on this Sunday morning. I'm going Kansas. Yeah, that's going to be a tough hole to crawl out of because I think I'm going to take Chiefs big yeah. here. I mean, whatever the line is, expect them to cover it. Um, the Colts do not look good. Chiefs big in Indianapolis. Uh, rounding out the morning slate for these games, we have Houston. They are leaving the Lone Star State and heading over to the Windy City to take on the Bears. And I have got to take my Chicago Bears. I have to here. I think that what, you know, some people pronounce it Aaron Rodgers. Some people pronounce it a stupid asshole, which is what I, how I pronounce his name. Um, what he does to the Bears is what he does to the Bears. This is a completely different week, completely different game. We're taking on Davis Mills and the, and the Houston Texans, and I think the Bears that can get this done uh, at home in Chicago, Soldier Field. Give me the Bears 
at home. Yeah, I kind of like, I mean, that Bears team had a gritty performance in week one. Obviously not great against Green Bay this past week, but I like the Bears defense. I think they'll disrupt uh, Houston quite a bit in this game. I'm taking the Bears too, Mitch. Davis Mills' neck is too long for the Windy City. He's going to be blown all over the place. He's too top-heavy. I mean, you get that goal on top of that long neck with that kind of wind in Chicago, he's going to be blown around like one of those balloon guys outside of a used car dealership. I mean, it's going to be bad. He's going to be a flappy arms inflatable tube man, and we got some scrappy boys down there in Chicago, so let's let's do it. (laughs) Fair enough. Mitch, let's jump into the afternoon slate here. Let's start with the Jacksonville Jaguars. They're leaving, Mitch, the swamps of Jacksonville. They're headed across the country to the West Coast, to Los Angeles, to take on the Chargers. Justin Herbert, Trevor Lawrence, who has the better hair? I don't know. I'm taking Herbert in this one, though. Chargers are the better team. Jacksonville's going to keep it interesting, though. This will be a good game, but give me the Chargers. Yeah, It'll be a very interesting game, but I like the Chargers in this one. I'm right there with you, buddy. Um, Trevor Lawrence has the better hair, but Justin Herbert has the better arm. So we have to talk about that one in terms of football. Give me the Chargers over Jacksonville in the City of Angels. Following that, the Rams, they're leaving the City of Angels, and they're heading over to the desert to take on the Arizona Cardinals at University of Phoenix Stadium. Um, Look, Arizona is confusing. I think we talked about some confusing teams here in the past. Arizona, very confusing team. Are they good? Are they not? I lean towards more that they're not. The Rams, they're going to get back to 2-1. and one. Give me the Rams on the road in the desert over the Cardinals. Yeah, all four teams in the NFC West started off the season with a 1-1 one one record. Arizona got their first win against the Raiders last week. Rams got their first win over the Falcons. Give me the Rams in this one. They are the better team. I do think Arizona at home, Kyler, they had a a gutty performance last week against the Raiders. Came back to win that one. I think there's going to be some positive momentum. I almost picked the Cardinals in this game for that reason. But I'm rolling with the Rams in a close one. In a close one on the road Mm. over Arizona. Mitch. A great matchup here. Green Bay, Tampa Bay. Aaron Rodgers, Tom Brady. Who can do better with a shitty receiving court? That's the matchup this Sunday between these two. You got nobody. You got Brashad Perriman and Scotty Miller for Green for, for Tampa Bay. And you got, you know, Christian Watson and Randall Cobb uh, for Aaron Rodgers on the other side. Who Forget Romeo Dobbs. Who can do more with less? That's the, that's the question on Sunday. Give me the Packers, though. No Mike Evans. Tampa Bay's defense looked really good. But the run game, which was so good in week one, was not good last week. Green Bay has a really tough defense. I think this is a low-scoring affair, but give me the Packers. I think we're overlooking the fact that Russell Gage will play in this game. Chris Godwin has a chance to play in this game. Perhaps, um, yes. So perhaps they're going to they're gonna, they're gonna have they're gonna have some possibilities of guys to play here in this matchup in Tampa Bay. But um, I have to take the Rat King, King Rat, King Scumbag, Nick Cage on crack. Give me Aaron Rodgers in the pack. I hate to do it, but I have to do it uh, for the for the sake of the matchup between you and I. Um, give me the Packers over the Bucks. Following that game, we have the Atlanta Falcons. They're leaving Hot Atlanta to head up to the PNW to take on the Seattle Seahawks. Dallin, garbage game of the week. 
It is garbage game of the week. Hit it! This is just this is just hot garbage. Straight hot garbage. You're a garbage person. I mean, this is going to be a really, really bad game. Uh, I No one wants us to watch this game. Thank God it's on the back end of the afternoon game, so we don't have to experience this. We can take a little break before we head into Sunday night. Um, but I like the Seahawks here. Geno Smith has played pretty decent. Uh, the Falcons have looked pretty bad. And this is just, this is not going to be a good game for Atlanta. I like Seattle. Um, I like Seattle by 13 in this one. Wow. Okay. Yeah. You know, uh, there are three great afternoon games and then there's this one. So just don't worry about this one, guys. Uh, Go watch any of the other games in the afternoon. So it'll be great. But I'm going with the Seahawks as well here. Geno Smith. Uh, Gino in Gino we trust there in Seattle I think Atlanta's offense has looked interesting to start the season Drake London is certainly heavily targeted and heavily used in that offense and I am curious as to the heights that the offense can see but that defense is very bad uh, and I, I think Seattle uh, will be able to get it done at home Mitch Sunday night football Jimmy Garoppolo and the San Francisco 49ers headed to Denver to face a familiar face Russell Wilson and the Denver Broncos. The Broncos got a win last week in ugly fashion over the Texans. Not very impressive on offense to start this season. San Francisco got a win last week with Jimmy Garoppolo as the play caller. How will it look on Sunday night? Mitch, I'm rolling with Denver. It feels bad. It almost feels like San Francisco should be the pick here. But at home, Russell Wilson against somebody he knows very well. I think he gets his confidence back. This is finally the rust game we've been waiting for. Maybe the offense sort of finally finds itself for Denver in this game on Sunday night. Give me the Broncos to get it done. Well, you know, you just said it. You think that San Francisco feels like San Francisco should be the pick here. It's because they should be the pick here. So give me San Francisco over Denver in mile high. Uh, I love Jimmy G back at the helm for the San Francisco 49ers. He gets it done over Denver. And I have Denver like winning like seven games this year. So they got to keep losing. They have to keep losing. Um, give me Fair San enough. Francisco with this one. Finally, Dallin, the best way to cap off the beginning of a work week, Monday night football. Dallas, they're leaving Jerry World. They're heading over to the Big Apple, the Meadowlands, former Meadowlands, to take on the New York Giants. The Giants don't look that bad. They're decent. Like, they're again, one of those confusing teams where you're like, you're expecting to be bad. They may not look that as bad as you think they're going to be. Um, I think that the Giants get this thing done at home against the Cowboys. Second week in Cooper Rush. Maybe they caught lightning in a bottle last week, but it's not going to happen again. Give me the Giants, I think, at a close one. Mitch, I think the Giants are bad. I think the Giants are bad. I'm not saying they're good. I'm not saying they're good. Yeah, I'm not saying they're good, but, you know. They have started the season 2-0. A one-point win over the Titans, a three-point win over the Panthers. Obviously, not the greatest competition, but Brian Dable has this team winning, and that is something that we haven't seen from the Giants in the last recent uh, history. So, positive things for New York, and with Cooper Rush coming into town, I'm rolling with the G-Men, Mitch. It feels weird, but... At home, 
Again, like you said, Cooper Rush, maybe lightning a bottle at home last week against the Bengals. Not going to happen on Monday night. Give me the Giants to improve to 3-0. and Mitch, crazy. Weird. Who would have thought? Who would have thought? Speaking of that, Mitch, that's going to do it for our quick picks here. I want to bring up this little uh, tidbit, some stance that I looked up this week before we wrap up the podcast. We were talking on Monday night about how it felt like there were maybe less undefeated teams than normal at this oh, point yeah. in the season, even yeah. through two weeks. Uh, there, are, there are only six teams right now uh, that are undefeated on the season. Tampa Bay Buccaneers, Philadelphia Eagles, New York Giants, Kansas City Chiefs, Miami Dolphins, Buffalo Bills. So I did some digging into the past 10 years. And on average through week two, uh, there are usually about eight teams that are undefeated uh, through week two of the season on average. So it is less. Uh, it is less than we expect, Mitch. In fact, it is the lowest amount of undefeated teams through week two in the past 10 years. Six is the lowest number. It's been as high as 11 back in 2020. We had 11 teams start 2-0 in 2020, which I thought was pretty crazy. That was definitely the outlier there. But yeah, eight is the average, so a little bit lower on that. Something else I looked up, which I was curious about, is how long the the last undefeated team lasted in a given season, right? Like how Like how long did it take that final undefeated team to lose a game on average? And over the past 10 years, the average is about 7.7 games. So somewhere between 7-0 and 8-0, on average, that final undefeated team will fall. So just a little interesting exercise as I did some digging back into it. I will say, if you look back at recent history, the teams that have stayed undefeated the longest are usually not the teams that go on to have success in the postseason the Cardinals were it last year. The Pittsburgh Steelers were that year before. Uh, you can look back at the trends. It hasn't always proven to be postseason success for those teams, but just something to keep in mind as we head into more weeks of the NFL season. Oh, wow. Great stuff there, D. Great stuff. Yeah. You know, I got we were talking about it and then I got thinking and I was like, rabbit hole. Here we come. I'm doing <laughs> I'm doing some numbers. Got to love a good rabbit digging. hole. Yes, Gotta it's always it. fun. Uh, it is always fun, and this is always fun here to do the podcast, guys. We appreciate you sticking around listening. As always, if you don't already, follow the socials, the Twitter, at Sports Hour Guys, Instagram, at the Sports Hour Guys, the TikTok, at the Sports Hour Guys. You can also follow me on Twitter, at Dallin Graff. The website, thesportshourguys.wordpress.com. Be sure to check that out if you haven't yet already. Mitch, remind the people about Anchor. Anchor is the only place that you can become a permanent part of the conversation. Guys, we are dying to hear from you. We would love to hear from you. Be a permanent part of the conversation. Go on anchor.fm slash the sports hour. Guys, leave us a voice message. A voice message. We'll play it live right here on the show, and we'll answer your question. Whatever it is. What's your favorite color? Who's your favorite teams? What's what your deepest, of, darkest secret? What type of underwear do you wear? I mean, whatever you want. We'll answer it here right now, live on the Sports Hour. Go to anchor.fm slash the Sports Hour, guys. Make sure you leave a rating. Uh, you can listen to us wherever you get your podcasts. That's Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher. Wherever you get it, you will find the Sports Hour. Go on Apple Podcasts, leave us a rating review. Tell us that we suck because, Dallin, that is the only way that we can get better. 
it is the only way that we could get better and we'd very much like to do that so please leave a rating and a review on there it would be greatly appreciated that's going to do it for the podcast guys we appreciate you listening uh and until next time we love you we appreciate you and we will catch you next week so long everybody and a very pleasant good evening to you wherever you may be see ya